Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of BCS Community Connections. Today on the podcast, we have brought in Salvation Army, and I have sitting across from me, Lieutenant Timothy Israel. And so, Timothy oversees the local, it's, we'll call it BCS, I mean, yep. that's just how we like to refer to everything in here, but the Bryan College Station chapter of the Salvation Army. And so, what an appropriate time to bring you in, and this really wasn't planned. We've had this podcast kind of planned and, and I think uh, I think I ended up putting it off. We went through our little yeah. COVID round or whatever in our household, and I had to reschedule you. And the timing on this probably couldn't be perfect. We're picking like the perfect day outside to have <laughs> it behind the worst weather week we've probably ever had in the history, at least in our lifetime, of what we probably experienced here in Texas. So uh, I love the idea of getting you in in this time frame because it really gives us a focus that, honestly, had we had a podcast two weeks ago, we probably wouldn't even be talking about the weather aspect of it and what we've just gone through and what we're still going through currently. A lot of families and a lot of parts in our community are still experiencing that had direct impacts through the Salvation Army having to step in and fill gaps and stuff for folks. So, uh, But we'll talk a little bit further about that as we get going. Uh, but we did also kind of talk at, at getting this on getting this on tape for all us old people uh getting it recorded and getting it out to the community during a time frame that we know the need is still going to be pretty pretty dramatic based on what you guys have done in the last week to help the community really more so is just kind of a recharging of the surplus of stuff that you guys are needing or influx of stuff that you guys are going to need to meet a demand that's still definitely not last week's level but still will be there especially on like the food side and things like that so uh, so what I want to start with, Timothy, is I want to start with uh, your background, kind of where you grew up, what kind of brought you into the Salvation Army. I mean, I've done a lot of research and <laughs> kind of talked about that before we came on camera here, but got an opportunity to kind of see that this is really your life. I mean, this is yep. this is something you've really dedicated your life to, and it's not just Timothy's life, it's also your wife as well, too. Y'all are both involved in it, and I'll let you guys let you talk about that here shortly. Uh, but tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, where you came from, and then what got you here into the Salvation Army and brought you here to the Bryan College Station area. Well, definitely, and I appreciate you having me on today. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, really interesting. Uh, last week, <laughs> you know, I think last week we were trying to figure out how many layers we could fit on and those things, <laughs> and this week we can be out in shorts and T-shirt just about. So a lot of changes, <laughs> but, yeah, my wife and I, uh, we arrived in Bryan College Station uh, back in the end of June of 2020, so still pretty new to the area, still figuring out uh, life in Bryan College Station. Of course, uh, we've only experienced it in the pandemic version, so we're looking <laughs> forward to, you know, as, as things are, vaccines are coming out and those things, you know, experiencing a little bit more of it as as we return to a little bit of life of what it was like before pandemic. Pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, but... Grew up in the Salvation Army. My parents were Salvation Army officers. In fact, I am a fourth-generation Salvation Army officer. Wow. Um, and so that's what we call our, in the Salvation Army, the individuals that are clergy that also serve as the executive directors in communities. We call them officers. Um, I was born in Arlington, Virginia. Uh, then my parents were served in that northern Virginia area, D Washington, D.C. area for a few years. And then we moved to Dallas, Texas. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, started school in Dallas area, 
then um, lived in Texarkana, Texas for a short time, and then returned back to Dallas and then moved out to North Carolina. And uh, so I claim a little bit of all of the Southeast, um, <laughs> then lived in North Carolina, three or four different cities from the age of 10 to 24. Uh, so if you hear a little bit of that Tar Hill accent coming through, that's, <laughs> that's where that comes from. Um, uh, you know, have always kind of known the Salvation Army. You know, I don't know how to do a Christmas without red kettles. Uh, one of my first jobs was with the Salvation Army and just kind of always grew up around that. And my parents did a really, really beneficial thing to me and my brothers is that we were always a part of the ministry. It wasn't that we were separated from it, but we were included in it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just their ministry that we had to deal with or be there for, but we were expected to be a part of it, to be participating in it and serving in it. And so that really laid the foundation for, you know, my desire to want to be a part of it. And, um, um, the oldest of three brothers, uh, you know, blessed to be the oldest and the first and the best looking and all those things. You get to stake all the claims, right? All the claims. And so, uh, you know, grew up in a great family, you know, being a part of the Salvation Army, like I said, taught me a lot of things. After college, uh, I caught on working for the Salvation Army in a ministry role, even though my degree was in accounting. Uh, I, I was helping out with uh, a lot of the local church programs and the ministry outreach in Gastonia, North Carolina. I did that for about a year and then decided that it was time to get out of North Carolina and so moved down to, to Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, and had a had a great time working there. In in the midst of working there, some opportunities came up to work for other organizations, and I knew I wanted to be involved in ministry. Uh, but it was really a time of decision for me: of would that be in the Salvation Army? And in that time of kind of wading through that, um, what really came to my heart is you know serving those in need, yeah. uh, homeless individuals, those uh, suffering in poverty. And really making an impact in in those individuals' lives, and you know, while other organizations do a great job with that, the thing that really occurred to me at that moment is at the Salvation Army, those individuals are literally walking in your door every day. Yeah. So if that's it's where your you, life, yeah, as a part of your, it's hard to call the Salvation your job. You know, Salvation Army is your job. I mean, that's not how it's classified for people who take those roles. It's like you said in the beginning, it's a calling, right? It's something that calls upon your heart to be able to serve, right? So it's more of a servantship than it is more of a leadership. Even though you have a leadership role within that deal, it is serving the community that you're a part of. And so that makes, I would imagine that makes the challenge a little bit difficult here because you're serving from a Christ-centered focus first that is, yep. you know, based in Christ-centered giving, need, reaching out, filling a gap, doing all of those things that it calls for Christians to be able to do. Um, like we said first, and we'll talk about that a little bit, kind of how the, role, the, the roles for the Salvation Army here maybe in the United States are a little reversed yeah. compared to other places in, in the world. Uh, but the opportunity for you to come in and fill a role that not only serves purpose in your life, purpose in your wife's life, purpose for your family, fourth generation, it's also this idea of like, I'm going to be the generation that's going to call this quits and we're going to, we're going to go off somewhere else. So I imagine that was probably a little tough as well too, when you got this, this, 
Is it expectation? I don't yeah. Know. I mean, I, I mean, there's some of that that you, you have to deal with if you've, I think, grown up in the Salvation Army. Yeah. You know, at some point you have to confront, it, you know, are you going to continue in this ministry? Yeah. Um, and that's really what that moment became for me is, and, and making it my own. Am I doing yes. this just because my parents did this? I mean, I think, it, you know, knowing now after being an officer for four years, some of the different struggles and stuff, different, you know, hard times that, that we've gone through and that you've had to lead through. If it wasn't my own, you know, I don't, I wouldn't have been able to persevere through those things. Right. And so really that was what that moment was for me is this, okay, this is not, I'm doing this because mom and dad did this or grandma and grandpa did this and great grandma and grandpa did this, but I'm doing this because this is where I feel distinctly called yeah. and this becomes distinctly mine yeah. and my calling. And so uh, that was really what that served as a catalyst for me for. And so um, through that, I, I really uh, decided that, you know, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to be a part of. And this is still before I'd even uh, met my wife. Um, and so I, I decided to make a little bit of a change in my life because of how, even though I had a business degree and I had um, done some things on the ministry side of the Salvation Army, I didn't necessarily understand some of the, the full realm of the business side of the Salvation yeah. Army, uh, you know, and wanted to make sure I could do that well. And so I shifted into working in uh, one of our headquarters, state headquarters, actually the Texas headquarters that's out of Dallas. And I served there in their uh, uh, finance department and really got an experience to see a lot of the Salvation Army and to learn a lot about the, the, the finance side of it mm -hmm. and really helped to prepare me. And in that, it was during that time that I, I met my wife. Um, she loves when I have to tell the story of how we met. <laughs> uh, she was actually living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time and uh, had three other roommates. And I was actually, the first time I came over to visit, it was because I was visiting one of the other roommates and was interested in one of the other roommates. And that, um, that didn't last long. And then uh, my, my now wife and I began uh, talking after that and, and then dating. And, and then she even, I convinced her to move out to the Dallas area. Um, and in the Salvation Army, uh, the calling, we serve as a husband and wife team. And mm -hmm. so it has to be something that you both feel called to and, and want to be a part of. Um, and so uh, through that, you know, she shared that she felt called to this. And so uh, that was the first time I'd really ever dated someone that shared that calling. And it really, uh, it really opened up the relationship to, to even be considered to the point of marriage because knowing that that's where I felt I was lead, being led by God and then sharing that calling with her uh, really, really allowed me to see the relationship in a way that I'd really never been in a relationship before. Cause before that it was always at some point, we're going to have to deal with this fact that, <laughs> that I feel called to a ministry that if you don't feel called with, you, you know, we can't really continue on or, yeah. or God's got to call me away from that to something else. Right. And, and so it was very unique uh, situation. And then, uh, so we got married and we were uh, married for about a year. And then we entered the Salvation Army Seminary um, in Atlanta, Georgia, the Salvation Army really will take in individuals from various backgrounds and, and send them out to be Salvation Army officers. And that goes back to our, 
our early days of the Salvation Army. Um, it started in 1865 in London, England. And when it came over to the U.S., a lot of times people who would come to the services get saved at the services. Six months later, you, you read in our history book where they were being sent out to then be the leader of the Salvation Army in another community. Right. And that's how the Salvation Army was spreading. And so we've always kept that as part of our tradition is that you don't have to be an ordained minister. You don't have to have a four-year degree in Bible and theology, and I'm proof of that because I've got an accounting <laughs> degree. Um, you don't have to have grown up in the in the movement. You know, you you can come from kind of various backgrounds, and but the way we make sure nowadays that you're prepared to go out and lead uh, the organization in a community and really be the executive director in a community is through the the seminary program. And so that's a two-year program, after which uh, my wife and I were uh, commissioned and ordained and appointed as the, the Salvation Army officers for, in Arlington, Texas. And so that was our first stop. And our first week there, uh, our predecessors had set it up where every other hour we had a meeting with somebody, <laughs> whether it was a community partner or a staff member. And, it, and quickly we were we were getting in over our heads yeah. and feeling overwhelmed by just all that was going on at this uh, unit and, and all the things that now we had responsibility for. And there was a staffing issue that we had to figure out in our first week. And uh, our predecessors used to take their preaching and planning day on Friday. So they normally weren't in the office. And so Friday, thankfully they hadn't scheduled any meetings. And so we went in and we were working and trying to play catch up and that day, my wife walked into the office and said, oh, by the way, I think I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, great. Like, we didn't need something else yeah. right now in the, this new adventure. Which, which hour are we going to deliver in here <laughs> yeah, that we're going to yeah. be free? Yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh. And so, uh, sure enough, nine months later, Eva joined us. And uh, quite a blessing and, and probably something that had we not been pregnant at that time, we probably would have put off because yeah. of settling into this new role and uh, and just how overwhelmed we felt, but ended up being really in God's timing and uh, was quite a blessing and, um, you know, just added to our family and the joys. And by then we, we felt like we had a little bit more control on Salvation Army things. And then we found out how not ready to be parents we were, you know, yeah. I think as we all go through it, yeah, you get that first one, you start realizing <laughs> that pretty fast. So, yeah. but you go with the flow and it just kind of works, right? You, you, yeah. Number two always seems like, you know, oh man, this, yeah. this is a piece of cake. Now that we've gone through number one, know what to expect. And yours, so you have a four-year-old yeah. or soon to be four. Soon to be four. And you've got a one-year-old. And a one-year-old. Yeah. So a few years later, we decided that we had survived or, or forgotten all the horror stories enough to, <laughs> to try a second one and, and welcomed uh, Hannah Joy to the family. Nice. And so I'm, I'm well outnumbered in our house now. Another uh, feeling. Uh, three girls to one guy, uh, which is, I think my mother laughs at me because she was outnumbered in our family four to one. So I think, you know, for her, it's just payback that now I'm outnumbered by the, the girls in my family. But, uh, you know, really, uh, uh, Hannah joined us in uh, November of, of 2019. And so most of her life has been in the pandemic world, but um, <laughs> I don't think she really noticed much because that just meant she didn't go to childcare as early on. That's right. She spent more time with mom and dad, and uh, and so really a blessing. I think as many of us have, you know, one of the blessings of the pandemic has been some of that family time that sure. we've gotten, and 
uh, that was a joy. And then in April of, of 2020, the Salvation Army called us and said, it's time for you to transfer locations. And in the Salvation Army, we, our officers work on an appointment system. And so we're appointed and transferred to locations as uh, need kind of dictates. And so yeah. uh, we were got the call that we'd be coming to Bryan College Station. And so, uh, you know, had heard a lot of great things at Bryan College Station and the work that was being done and the things that were taking place. And I had visited here before we became officers. Um, and so we're really excited for the opportunity. Uh, I don't think we knew how much of a family-oriented community it was, though, and and really felt that early on, just as the community welcomed us in. And the way I describe it is, you know, I've been in communities that are welcoming and, you know, they greet you and they're kind to you. But here, you're not only greeted and welcomed, but then you're invited over for dinner, <laughs> right. you know, and you're welcome. You're made a part of the family, and that's really been a great thing. The other great experience we had as we were moving in, I'll say great experience, but the day we were moving in, we were unloading our, we moved in a pod, we were unloading it, and some of the young adults from the church came over to help us, and I, you know, in the middle of it, I said to one of them, man, is it always this humid? And they said, no, no, no. And I go, okay, good. What they didn't tell me is, no, normally it's more humid. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of actually a cool week. Yeah. You know, and so. Uh, it's a different kind of hot. Now, it is. Yeah. It is. You yeah. know, and it's it's got that humidity that just, man, you walk out and it's, it hits you in the face. So, uh, but we've adjusted and, and are loving it. Uh, you know, it's an exciting time to be a part of the Salvation Army in this community. It's a great community to be a part of, and, and we've just really loved it from day one and are enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I tell friends and family, if you're raising a family, it's probably one of the best locations. It's really, I wouldn't say it's the best-kept secret, but it's definitely yeah. close to it. When you talk about uh, the tightness, it's, it, it's a it's not a small community right? by any stretch of means. We're not talking 3,000 people here or whatever, but it feels small. And the outreach from the community makes that happen. Like it's the idea that when there is a need, there is a rise up in the community to meet the need. And so when you have, when you're raising a family in that, it's also the idea that everybody's looking out after everybody, you know, it doesn't feel like an Arlington, Texas, where, you know, there's so many different subdivisions of, of, you know, the Dallas, you know, DW, we'll call it the DFW, you know, the the DFW for, yeah, the, the stretch of all of that, where it can all kind of get lost and each community kind of becomes its own little entity here. It's more so, you know, you, we say Brian college station, but we refer to it as BCS where, you know, I can think back to when my brother-in-law and sister-in-law were here and we would come and visit before we ever considered coming here. There was a division line. Like you could actually tell where Brian stopped and where College Station started. Now you have no clue. You know, yeah. you're going, okay, right when we get to university, that's about where <laughs> the line's at, you know, and, I, and it continues to grow, but it's still continued to maintain that small town atmosphere, friendly people, probably one of the more conservative areas of, of Texas, you know, but then you also have this influx in and influx out with students. So we need them. I mean, it's something that our community thrives on to have them here as a part of A&M and a part of Blinn. You know, but also at that same time, you know, I tell people it's kind of like Christmas when they go home because then you can get into places a lot quicker and eat faster yeah. and, you know, all this other stuff. And, and But the community has to thrive both ways. And so you come here as an appointment. Your wife comes along with you. And I really kind of want to touch base back on that because that's a unique deal that you're both lieutenants, right? Yep. And you're both coming in as a husband and wife team. 
into a community that you know while you visited really you're you're kind of on the fly like learning about the community and the people in there and you know what organiz you know the, i understand the salvation army as an organization but what am i inheriting here is this appointment to come into bryan college station area where am i going to be able to rise up to meet the needs not just of the community that i'm servicing but also the organization that i'm now leading and heading up as well too that i want to make sure that i'm doing the right things to represent that well not just for the community but for the salvation army in general so we're talking about the history and and this is kind of where we'll backtrack a little bit the salvation army didn't start as as a organization to meet the needs of other people and to i mean it's it's an extension of a church in other words so it really started in the religious aspect of following jesus christ and having this you know having this religious base where the foundation of the salvation start salvation army started and its goal was to spread the word as it moved into other areas as a part of like most churches that it just kind of naturally became the evolution of meeting needs of people, whether that's helping to support them through food donations and things along those lines became really the secondary part of that. It was the goal was to move in and again, salvation army is to bring people closer to a relationship with Jesus in order to be able to save them and continue that message out as these folks went potentially as officers and as as appointments into other parts of the united states and then you know right it didn't obviously we didn't start in the united states everybody yeah. assumes the salvation <laughs> army is the united states deal and like you said earlier it started in england it didn't right. start here and so we were discussing before we came on air here to, to that you know how the salvation army is viewed in our culture as opposed to how it's viewed in other cultures across more than 100 countries that the Salvation Army is in. In those countries, it is first viewed as a religious organization first that provides needs for people. Right. Virtually like a church, right? Yep. I mean, I mean that and then we get to we were saying here, what Canada? It's here, Canada, Australia are the ones where it's you the opposite. get the reverse where it's really known as first a social organization, and then, oh, you have a church that, that yeah. meets there as yeah. well. And and even some of the beliefs about the church and things like that that come out of that because of that is kind of, of inter- interesting. But, yeah, William Booth um, and his wife, Catherine, William was a Methodist minister mm-hmm. in London, England, and really, really felt his calling was revival meetings, going into, you know, uh, at times slums or bar areas and – and holding revival type meetings to lead people to Christ and eventually broke away from the Methodist church because they wanted him to become a pastor of a congregation. And he wanted to continue to do revivals as well. Catherine felt, uh, you know, that she was called to preach as well. And Mm so that wasn't really accepted in the Methodist church at the time. And so uh, she felt it necessary, you know, to have a more prominent role in ministry you know, that that kind of went along with William's feeling that they needed to break away from there. And so really started going into those those poor communities in London and and really going in with the gospel message to, to reach them with Jesus Christ and to lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. But what William quickly found out and noticed is like when people don't know where their next meal's coming from, when there's not, you know, a roof over their head and those concerns, it really 
hinders them from hearing the, the gospel message. And, yeah. and so that led to the, the social service side of it. And I think as the Salvation Army entered into that, it began to just become more and more of the heart of the mission of, you know, our heart breaks the more and more we realize the people that are going without people that are in need. And so it continued to grow in that. And I think as you identified, you know, the Salvation Army, a lot of times spread not by organizational strategy of, Oh, we need to go there next. But a lot of times someone who was relocating to an area and, uh, said, I want the Salvation Army here. You know, I want what I've come to love in in London, in England. I want to see that here. In the, and so both in how it spread to the U.S. and how it spread to Texas was more by someone that was coming here saying, I want to see the Salvation Army here. And, and that led to the spread of it. And then, you know, I think through the ways in which our government operates and uh, sometimes allocating funding and stuff, is what led to more of this, our social service side becoming mm. the more prominently known side. Um, and, and that people often see as, instead of it's this church that's outpouring its faith through the social services, here in the U.S., we've, we're almost seen as the church for the people that receive the social services. Right. Which isn't, uh, you know, I mean, you'll find some of our congregations that, yeah, that is the case, that, the individuals there are are people that have maybe started out by coming through the social service line. But as well, now that we've been a, around for over 150 years, we have people that maybe three or four generations ago, they were that person coming for service. But now they're a family that, that's been a part of the Salvation Army for years, for decades, for generations. And so uh, that, that some of them have never even necessarily experienced poverty firsthand, but they know that it was part of their family history. And so right. now, but they, they choose to continue to make the Salvation Army their home church in order to <clears throat> serve those, in order to continue to advance that mission through that. But yet many of those congregations would look very much similar uh, to, to any congregation that you might attend. Uh, that You wouldn't necessarily walk in and be like, oh, this is a, a <laughs> congregation full of people in poverty. You're right. not necessarily going to know. Notice that there may be people in that congregation that are experiencing poverty, but that's the same with with most congregations. Well, and it's a conundrum for you guys because in this in the word of establishment for them, it is we are church first, and then we are organizationally set up here to help other people, right? But then on the flip side of that, like you were saying earlier, you, you know, when when these revivals went out, there was this idea of sitting there going, "We have a need out here." I need this need to be met so that these people, number one, want to continue to come here and feel comfortable coming here, knowing that we can take care of them while still sharing the message of Jesus with these folks. Well, it's really that same process here as well, too. Hey, while you're here, you know that we also offer church services as well, too. And so that's kind of, you know, when we're talking about it being flipped roles, that's more culturally based, I think. And so when we think, you know, I was telling you, like, whenever there's a disaster, the first thing that people see on the front side is the Salvation Army coming to the forefront to serve in that disastrous need for the community immediately, right? And it's not bound up by regulation and all of these other things that you see from the governmental side of it where we're going to send you FEMA, you know, week and a half later and things like that. And by the way, you know, we realize it's 70 degrees today here in Texas and we uh, sent you a million blankets this week. Right. You know, I mean, 
So the, the Salvation Army has a, a direct line of sight with an immediate response mechanism, right? And that's kind of how people view it. They view the idea of the Salvation Army is going to come in and help people in need. And so, which is fine. And, and I'm sure the Salvation Army is, is very willing to wear that badge and wear it proudly, knowing that where there's a need, we can be there to meet that need. But also at that same point, not wanting to give up on the, the true mission of where the Salvation Army is rooted in, which is still to come meet a need and bring them into that relationship that they're yeah. still looking for. I mean, it's, it's, it's changed over the years, obviously. And, and at a, and it's not that old of an organization. When you think about 150 years, that's right. not a long time for an organization with the structure and the capacity. I mean, think about the idea of, you know, just take a church as an example. If you gave a church 150 years, could they meet the needs that the Salvation Army currently meets in over 100 countries worldwide? Probably not. And so structure has to become a place where there are officers put in place and, and missions put in place to go, listen, this is where we're going to grow into. Here's where we see a need that needs to be met, this country, this part of the United States, this whatever to be able to grow the, the, the group. When he leaves the Methodist church in England, he leaves the Methodist church because there was a crossroads that came right. and it was a decision to be made at that point. And so there's not an agreement with how this needs <laughs> to go down. And basically he then turns around and says, I'm going to go and take this on the road and do it myself. You know, I've got plenty of people that I can take along with me and we'll grow this thing on the outside of that. And they did, they make their decision to part ways, but it's not the idea of parting ways. And I'm going to go and not practice, you know, bringing people into a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to go and do this and do this as right. a part of that. And I think a lot of churches meet that need now, uh, but a church has not looked at it on the opposite role of what we were discussing. A church is a religious organization first that practices and preaches, you know, bringing people into that, that faith. And then on the backside of that, it is an entity that can help people in the community where, like we were discussing, that role reversal for the Salvation Army. I think that's really lost in that the idea that salvation to bring people into that growing relationship is still the critical point. It is right. still the major responsibility for the organization first. And officers see that. People who are in the organization see that. But culturally, we've flipped that on on its head. Yeah. And so we've said, well, man, if you need something, just go to the Salvation Army. We don't say, you know, that there's religious offerings to be able to be to be done as well too, where you can go down there and hear somebody preaching the gospel and sitting in church on Sundays. And like we were talking about in here, I, I, you know, we were, we were, we were discussing how much is on your plate of what you actually deal with. Right. Cause we were also talking about the idea when it's husband and wife, you guys never turn it off. Right. I mean, it's, it's one of those deals. I mean, my wife and I both worked at Walmart at the same time and you go home and it's really not like, Hey, what, like you were saying, what happened at work today? You know, what happened at work today? You're right there with me, you know? And so there's not this turn off mechanism. It's, 24 seven, you know, and so the idea also of being able to create a partnership, not just through marriage, but also a partnership and that you've been appointed to a role here that you have a responsibility to is a big deal. I mean, it's in, and always having to be on is a tough location to be, especially for, you were talking about pastors in churches and things like that, where even when it's not truly a partnership, like 
maybe the wife doesn't preach in that church or whatever. It's still a partnership. Yep. It's still the idea like, look, I got to support my husband over here who's part of the church and, and I'm the, the pastor's wife or whatever that looks like. And their, their mission is still the same, though. The, the goal is still the same. And I'm sure for you and your wife, the goal is also still the same. But it's, it's met with we want, to, we want to bring people into these relationships with Christ is our number one goal as far as what we do. But our culturally expectation for us is that we represent the Salvation Army well and that we lead it well in this community also. So that's a tough place to be between those two. And then how do you allocate your time to creating a service and creating a sermon, whereas most pastors get all week to build that sermon up to that Sunday deal, and you're spending most of your week right in the middle of (laughs) donations and meeting people's needs. And like you said, on Friday, we're going to sit down and we get that sermon done for Sunday so that we can make sure the people who show up for church on Sunday also have their needs met because that's our priority as well. Yeah, and I think for, you know, one of the things I've had to adopt in working with the Salvation Army and being a a minister within the Salvation Army is uh, that to truly be a part of the Salvation Army, I have to embrace the whole mission of the Salvation Army. Right. And the mission of the Salvation Army is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and meet human needs in his name without discrimination. And so in that, I can't say, well, I'm just a preacher of the gospel, and so I sit over here. Right. And I, or I can't just say, well, I just handle the meet human needs. And, you know, I don't do, I don't kind of dabble into the other parts. As well, if, if I start seeing my ministry as just one half of the equation or trying to make sure the equation is balanced, then I think that leads to a lot of frustration. I have to see it as a, as a full expression of that mission. And so in some ways, you know, my preaching isn't just on Sunday morning for the 20 or 30 minutes that I'm up there in front of the congregation, but it's also, okay. It's every interaction. Yeah. It's every interaction. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm preaching when I'm, when I'm helping to meet a need, I'm yeah. preaching when I'm interacting with a staff member and the way in which I do that. And so it all becomes ministry. Um, you know, one of the great things here in this community is the Salvation Army is very visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, you know, we get a lot of uh, coverage on news stations and things like that. And people recognize my wife and I, whether we're in the Salvation Army uniform or not. Right. And so, you know, I, you know, I have to be careful even when I'm driving down the road because, yeah. you know, <laughs> someone might recognize me as the Salvation Army if I start honking at them or, <laughs> That's right. or things like that. Why are you like going that. so slow? <laughs> but, I mean, even that in, in some form becomes a part of the ministry, you yeah. know, like showing grace and mercy in those times, you know, it all becomes a part of it. And I think, you know, what does it mean to be a part of the Salvation Army as your church? You know, it means that you're, that's what you're striving to do is yeah. that, that it's that I'm not just coming here for Sunday morning worship, but I'm also a part of the, the meeting the needs. And, you know, it's always tricky. We want to make sure people don't think that that's how they earn salvation is through that, those acts. But we do believe that our faith and our salvation compels us to act. Yeah. And compels us into action. And so that's a, you know, that's a necessity of kind of what it means to be a part of the Salvation Army. Now, you know, thankfully, you know, I, I do, my wife and I do act as a team. And so it does help with some of those traditional Sunday morning responsibilities because uh, uh, we, we split those responsibilities between ourselves. We rotate every other week who preaches and things like that. And so 
that helps because now, you know, because I don't have as much time to set aside strictly to preparing a sermon, now I can take two weeks to kind of prepare for that instead of every week having to kind of prepare for that. And so that kind of helps and still giving me probably as much preparation time as a lot of other individuals, yeah. but it's because I'm spreading it out over two weeks instead of in one week's yeah, time. Yeah, where a team-based deal works really well for you, plus you're both in the same location all yeah. the time. So it can also be a thinking about you know this particular message and what's your thoughts. Let me bounce this off of you. So you probably also become each other's idea generators, yeah. message generators. You know, uh, you know, can you proof this for me Theology a little bit? Checker. Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and so uh, that's really kind of the one thing that I thought was interesting is, and in, and I kind of pleaded ignorance as well too. To is is that cultural base, that cultural vision. Well, let me let me back that up. That cultural lens that the Salvation Army has looked at through a community is the needs first, the ministry. I wouldn't even say second because I don't think ministry, you know, prior to sitting down here and me doing research on this, I don't think Salvation Army in the ministry category, Right. right? I think of it as a rise up to meet the needs of the community and the people in that community. But then when you pull it all back in and you really do the research on it, you have conversation about it. Part of the reason why I love having these types of podcasts to get information out to folks is to understand, listen, we're, we're almost, we're, <coughs> I want to be cautious about the word that I use. We're church first because church really is wherever Christ is at. I mean, it doesn't have to be, hey, man, make sure you put the cross on the outside yeah. to classify it as a church. And we need to be, we need to have our classifications, you know, and all that other kind of stuff. Church is where jesus shows up at and where his people show up at to minister so church is individual interactions with with meeting a need with someone also getting people to understand that you're you're not a you're not a a sum total of your your current situation right that everybody will go through the challenges the the ups and downs in life and all of this stuff but you know, the one thing that I always find interesting when I talk to friends that are in need of word is the idea of like, listen, man, we're not here to tell you that you have a debt that you need to pay up to be a good Christian. I mean, that debt's already been paid for yeah. you and was paid a long right. time ago. You're the recipient of a debt that was paid for you. And in this word, what we want to do is we want to use this as a mission to maybe meet your needs at this point so that later on when you're in a better situation, you can help give back as a part of meeting needs for other people. That's where most people see the Salvation Army. And so when they're running through and they see the kettlebells going on and they see the fundraisers going on, they get that feel good, you know, let me drop a dollar in there. Let me drop a 10 or drop a 20. And I've done my part, you know. And while that's important for the Salvation Army as a total, the idea of creating people who come through the Salvation Army who are met in a time of need that potentially they go out into the community to be an extension of the Salvation Army in the community without necessarily wearing a tag or anything. But right. it's, it's, it's just like anything else. People who go to a church can say, my church took care of me right here. There's not much of a difference in that particular situation. You're taking care of people in a time of need not based around any kind of structural, well, you got to meet this, 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 this. It's 
we want you to be here with us. And the goal is, is if we can meet your need to make things easier, then maybe you spend church with us on Sunday. Right. Maybe you come to church first because there's no other place that you feel you have left and realize that there are all these other resources that are in place and services that we can hook you and plug you into to make this temporary situation that you're in become a permanent solution to something long-term for you and building a good foundation for your future. I mean, there are a lot of folks that can, you know, they can go back and say, Hey, listen, I was homeless and now I'm a success and I have a home and I have a family and everything else. But that particular story becomes a structural foundation underneath all the stuff they built on top of started in by probably an individual you know, that could be just an individual in the Salvation Army that they have the contact with. And and you we were talking about you have you have seven folks that work for you, I guess, in the, yeah, in we the have, structure. We have seven staff members. Right. So those people, you know, it's also trying to get, you know, you're you're leading this group of folks to get them to understand you're an extension not of the Salvation Army, you're an extension of Jesus Christ. Right. And so every interaction that you have keep that in mind when you go through this process that we want people to see Jesus in the interaction. We don't, you know, that's great. You know, Sue's over here taking care of somebody else. We don't want them to see Sue. We want them to see Jesus. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, there's so many negative connotations with, with Christians, with the church and all those things that sometimes when our first interaction can be in a meeting a need and helping in that way, it, it kind of helps to break down that barrier. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, there's this sense of I'm going to be judged. Mm. I'm going to be, you know, nobody's, you know, they're all going to look at me in a, in a way. And sometimes that's because that's been how we've acted. Yeah, listen, man, you know? I, we talked before we went on air, the most judgmental people that, that you know, if you go and you ask people on a, on a poll who the most judgmental people are in the United States, they're going to tell you it's Christians. Yeah. And so I think sometimes getting an experience where your first experience isn't someone judging and it's mm. someone just helping to meet your need, whatever your situation is. It helps to break down that and Absolutely. it helps, you know, and it's not inside the four walls that I don't know how to, how do I act in, in church? How do, am I supposed to sit or stand? Yeah. You know, there's a lot of those unspoken cultural I'm not, things. I'm in not church. good enough to be here. Right. I've done really bad things. Yeah. I'm not deserving of Jesus's love. All of that stuff that comes into right. somebody's thought process. So to that point, it probably, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to really two face this deal here out for you it probably helps the idea that culturally we flip that, that somebody can come in on needs base first to then extend that offer out as opposed to we're a religious based organization that, you know, brings everybody into a close relationship with Jesus Christ first. And then we meet your needs that may be fearful to some people of the idea of going, listen, man, some of the churches I've been to in town, man, I'm, you know, those people call themselves Christians in there and they're following Jesus word. I'm not so sure they, there are people there that do that uh, just because they've had a bad interaction with the few and the many suffer at the hot, at the cause of that, you know? Yeah. And so that's the same deal. You can have one individual who has a, a, a bad day, you know, bad day at the office. And then unfortunately that gets passed along to one individual who's there to get the needs, the needs met. And now all of a sudden it's not, you know, Sue had a bad day. It's oh the Salvation Army treated me right. this way, you know. So that's the unfortunate side of it. But if you can meet the needs first, then the idea becomes open more. That door almost opens for you. The idea of going, let me tell you why yeah. the needs were met. The needs weren't met because you know the community gave all this stuff, which is true. 
but God put it on people's hearts to give yeah. that back in. Let's give, let's give due where due is needed. Due is needed that Jesus will always rise up to meet people's needs, right? Yeah. People who have been shunned away from the church or people who have gone to church and had a bad experience or, you know, it just hasn't been the message that's set well with them or whatever, have a hard time connecting those two. And it's hard to be in the leadership role to bring an organization together that it really you want to require it to meet those two. You really want those two to interconnect with each other where people have a good positive outlook on, okay, well, I can go here and get this need met without somebody looking at me sideways and going, well, you look like you're capable to get a job. Why don't you just go get a job? Yeah. Which is, you know, unfortunately, culturally, we, we create that little segment of our United States as well, too, who just say, listen, yeah, I don't want to get political on anything, but the bootstraps and all the other stuff that kind of go along with that, you know, is sometimes the first knee jerk reaction from people instead of how about we just meet the needs first and then focus on the services that we can provide to help um, as a po- and services to help, you know, looks different for every individual. It may be person who already has a job, may person who already brings in a paycheck, but it may be person who's, you know, alcohol dependent. You know, it may be PTSD. It may be all of these things that are battling against that person being able to keep and retain a solid employment that will lead them to be able to be good givers in the community somewhere down the road, that they have their own battles and their own internal battles that they fight. So let's move to services because I think this is really probably where we'll spend the most time today in talking about what Salvation Army provides. So again, I'm going to plead ignorance and stupidity here from not doing enough research. I mean, I've like I, it's like I said earlier, man. I've, I'm the guy that I put it in the kettle and you make the donations and yep. everything else, but not realizing the extent to where those donations are pushed out to. And so I printed off a, a list of stuff, and I'll just kind of run through these. So uh, we talked about Help Rescue Christmas, which most people can associate that to the Angel Tree program, and we'll come back to that one. Uh, LGBTQ support, which again, man, that was one when I was pulling this up. I'm like, wait, let me click on this because I'm curious how this meets in. And the idea, again, some people out there, Christian-based and everything else who are at their churches and thinking about that as and the word support underneath that, this is, again, where you start meeting the, the rubber meat in the road. Do yeah. you really practice what Jesus is telling you, right? Do you really see that as we're all equal, we all have a need for Jesus? It's not the idea of going, hey, man, if you choose to be a lesbian, choose, right? Nice word. Uh, if you choose to be a lesbian or you choose to be gay or whatever, then there's no place for you in this church. There's no place for you with Jesus. There's no place for you here. And when you create an atmosphere that, that listen, man, I'm not put here to be your judge, jury, and executioner. Although I think there are Christians out there who can easily pick up a Bible and say, here's my judge, jury, and executioner all right here in one. And again, people who tend to get pushed away from the church. And that category and that group of individuals that fit into that category can probably tell you story after story after story of how they're judged in that particular role. So you create this environment again where, listen, we don't care. We don't care if you got two heads and a tail growing off your backside here. We want you in. We want you here to hear the message. And we want you here to hear the message because the message is important for everybody. Because that debt wasn't paid for everybody that's straight. That debt wasn't paid for everybody who only meets these little criteria and categories. That debt was paid for everyone and everyone's future down that road. 
So you bring those people into that mix. And I'm sitting there going, and that was a poor choice. I don't want to say those people because that sounds terrible in the context. But you bring that category in, and now all of a sudden you start splitting the basis need of what the church believes versus what the Bible says. And, you know, if we all live our lives the way the Bible says, then we never have to worry about what the judge is because we're not put here for that, nor are we in the category line to be in line to be it anywhere in that role to make that decision. So I thought that was interesting to see that up on the category line of the stuff that was in there and, and, and a powerful message to go, listen, man, we're, we're not in this to be hip. You know, we're in this because this is what we should be telling everybody. This is the message we should be sending everybody. We don't care what sex, creed, religion, race, whatever you are, just come to us. We're, we're going to welcome you at the doors no matter what. Right. And are we going to sit here and say, well, we're here to meet the needs and bring people into Jesus, but only the people that fit these categories, only the people that check these boxes. You know, so I, I, I found that valuable to see that on the website and not something that you'll typically see on a church website by any stretch of the means. But again, something that's valuable. You want people to be there. Disaster relief goes without speaking. Uh, you know, we're talking about anytime there's a disaster, the expectation really from the community is, is that the Salvation Army is at the front lines of that, that they're there to meet the needs quickly. They can circumvent everything. They don't have to go through the governmental programs to get a trailer, to get something into a location, to get water there, food, you know, locations for people to stay, you know, all of that support is all met within that deal mm -hmm. at the front lines, and the Salvation Army is almost always at the front of that cause. Uh, homeless shelters, food pantries, grassroots service, life skills to escape poverty. We'll talk about that a little bit further. Uh, I think we used it as, uh, I wrote it down while we were talking in the beginning, generational poverty, I think, mm -hmm. was something. So we'll come back to that. Alcohol and drug rehab, spiritual healing, job training, summer camps, Solution to human trafficking. And again, that's something that's on the rise. Yeah. Uh, and something, again, that it's the ugly that nobody wants to talk about. And it's the scary for people who have kids, you know, yeah. you know, youth kids. I mean, they just, this is a fearful conversation even for me to think about, uh, especially in my community. Veteran services, uh, services for aging individuals, help with domestic abuse, after-school programs. Now, that's not all-inclusive, obviously, but that's kind of... Yeah. When you go to Salvation Army's page, those are the things that pop up on there. And I can sit there and tell you that in me going through the research and going to that page, there are maybe three of those things that I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I knew they did that. But, I mean, I just rattled off. Those are 12 categories that I just rattled off that aren't all-inclusive to it because the reality is, is you guys also come into the community and partner through a lot of those. Right. And that's kind of when we, before we came on air, it was, it was the Salvation Army can't be everything to everyone. Right. Right. But the Salvation Army can come in and be the bridge to organizations locally, like you were saying earlier, that do it better, have much more established programs, better resources in some cases. Now, that's probably in like, you know, areas like this. Now, when we get to Houston, some of the metro areas you talk about, you said the resources tend to expand a little bit more and there are a lot more that the salvation can army the salvation army can offer in those category lines that are direct through the salvation army but in some of the smaller communities or whatever they have to rely on the partnerships and it's not a one up it's not a man we raised you know more money than you raised or we took care of more people than you took care of 
we were talking about that partnership. So if you would a little bit, kind of speak on that partnership that you've noticed here within the Bryan College Station area and how that comes to benefit everybody that shows up at the Salvation Army where you guys can get them plugged in. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, it's important. It's not just us bridging people to other services, but individuals bridge to us as well. Yeah, backwards. Um, and so, I mean, in this community, especially, you know, what what my wife and I's experience has been is that this is a community that the nonprofits aren't trying to compete with each other. They're not trying to, you know, put us out of business or things like that. One up. But, but it's, it's a realization that, man, look at, look at the issues that individuals in our community are facing. If we're truly going to make an impact in these, we've got to work together. We've got to be coordinating with each other. We've got to be, you know, strategic about how we serve and, and, uh, and assist individuals. And so, um, you know, we, we have the services that we can provide, you know, directly or through a, through maybe a regional Salvation Army, but then there's things that locally other individuals, quite frankly, do better than us. Yeah. And we can connect them with that. And it's, it's not done in a, ser- a spirit of, well, we, we do this better than you, but it's done in like, I want to get this person the, you know, the best help I can get. Them. Right. And so in order to do that, I connect them with this agency or these individuals because they, you know, they do this the best. They're focused on this and they can get these individuals the assistance that they need. And so it's really, really critical, especially as uh, as we try to truly address the issues and not just put a Band-Aid on an issue. Mm. Because, you know, many a times the services that maybe we're providing assistance with are, you know, it's, you know, rent and utility assistance. It's not that that's the only need the family has. Normally there's a deeper need yeah. and it's how do we address that? How do we get them what they need to overcome that, you know, uh, and, and be able to become self-sufficient. Yeah. And so that really comes through partnering with other agencies and connecting people with the resources they have as well. Like we don't hold all the resources. So even in the areas where we do provide service, sometimes, you know, our funds may lim- be limited that month or, have run out that month and we can connect somebody with another agency so that they can still get the assistance that they need. And so those things are crucial uh, to how we serve individuals. And again, because we don't want someone to come to us and say that they have this need, but you know what, that's not on our menu of services. Yeah. Sorry, too bad. Have a nice day. You know, no, we want to be able to address that and get them the help they need. Um, and so really a no wrong door approach, yeah. you know, okay, you might've come to us for something we don't do in our building, but we're going to try to get you connected with the person that does do that service so that you have that need met. And I think that's, that's crucial. And, and, you know, need doesn't discriminate, you know, everyone experiences need, uh, you know, however you identify or, you know, whether that's racially, whether that's, uh, economically, you know, we all experience, uh, you know, need and, and, and many of us have those needs and uh, a lot of people come to us. And so, you know, we want to make sure we're not discriminating in how we serve yeah. and that we assist anyone that comes to us with need and help meet them with need. And, and, uh, and, you know, they don't, they don't ever have to step foot in the Salvation Army for a spiritual meeting. Right. You know, there's not even that expectation, you know, we do it out of an outpouring of our love uh, and an outpouring of the love that we received from Jesus Christ. But 
that doesn't mean you even have to say you're going to accept that love, you know, yeah. to receive we'll give our you this service. If you show you know? up in church or yeah, something. Yeah, there's that's not, not the, there's none of that prerequisite. Yeah. And, and that's the important thing. And I think, uh, you know, that, that helps to remove some of that judgmental type feeling that people get sometimes when they receive services that, you know, we're not, we're not getting into your spiritual, uh, preference or things like that, but we're, we're just, what is your need? How can we meet that need and, and serve you today? Yeah. And I think that really, uh, you know, opens people up to that and, and it plants a seed, you know, sometimes, you know, I never have to say the word Jesus Christ in order to show someone Jesus Christ. It's, it plants a seed of man, that person did something that was selfless, you know, mm-hmm. they gave of themselves in order to help me. And that, that speaks volumes and often leads people to ask the question, why would you do that? You know, yeah. why would you, you know, do something that's contrary to what culture would tell us you should do or the way you should act? Yeah. The, the, the bootstraps and all the other stuff. I mean, it's real. People are very quick to go, this person's able-bodied, right? They should be able to work. They should be able to do these things to provide. I did it. Why can't you do it? I mean, it's, it's this constant back and forth cultural judgment you know, personal judgment, things that kind of happen within there. I view, I view the nonprofits in Bryan College Station almost like a, almost like safety nets that are all piled up underneath each other. Right? I may miss this one. This one might not have what I need, and I fall through that. But I go to the next one, and then you think about all of those. You know, Twin City Missions, BV Casa, Scotty's House, all of those things that are in you know in play. And I've left a ton of them out. I know, yeah. but you know, I'm just kind of hitting on some of the ones that just came to mind. So if I didn't mention you, don't get offended. Um, but those all sitting in there catch somebody through the fall, catch somebody through the need. If they fall into to Salvation Army's net, like you said, I don't have the best resources. I want to get you the best resources, but I know someone at this yeah. organization that's better equipped to be able to handle it. It's not a pawn off. It's the idea of am I doing you service by getting you the fourth best? You know, or am I doing you service by hooking you into somebody that handles this stuff all the time and has better resources and better equipped to be able to handle the route? Because again, what we were talking about in here is is rent, utilities, needing something, a bill paid, and that kind of stuff. That's all a symptom. That's a that's a temporary situation to a symptom. And so we're referring to it as cold and symptom, right? You know, you get a cold, you have symptoms from the cold. So the cold is what needs to initially be addressed. It's the thing that needs to be challenged and fixed. The symptoms are the things that come off of that as a part of that. So now all of a sudden, if I've got somebody who, and I guess we can kind of flip into that generational, yeah. you know, that generational poverty that we're talking about where, I've not seen it. I've not been raised through that to know that this is what I need to do to better myself out of this. I just repeat the cycle over and over and over that I'm a part of just by visually seeing it and growing up in it. And those generational poverties look a lot different for different people, whether that's government assistant programs that just carry over from generation to generation to generation and we tend to look at that sometimes as a community of people scamming the system. And there are people that do that. There are people that know how to work that to get the most for their, you know, most bang for their buck, I guess. 
And then there are those folks that those things are actually in place to catch people as a part of the safety net, you know. And so what you're looking at in that deal is the cold becomes maybe cold for this person is job training and getting them plugged into an employer that's looking to hire and getting stable work for this person so that they can pay rent pay utilities, pay the bills that they're coming to us asking for assistance on. Listen, 2020 for most people probably looks a lot different than 2019 for people who had stable income, stable jobs. Those folks could be working for a place that that business closed shop in 2020. Now I'm just out of a job. Maybe that's where I worked for 15 years or what I know how to do best. And I can't find that service anywhere else that I can go and get plugged back into because nobody's leaving jobs because it's critical to have one here when i'm running through this but if i can come to the salvation army and the salvation army has their hooks into different locations organizations that can help with job training job placement working through individuals in town who constantly checking back in with the with the salvation army to say hey, i've got a need here if you have somebody come across that has these type of skill sets send them to me Right, or they go through a job training program where on the backside of that through the Salvation Army, then they also have this opportunity to get on with some of these companies by going through these job trainings or even training up. Whereas their skill set was here, but they have an opportunity to raise those skill sets so that they can align themselves with better career opportunities for the long term. Solve the cold, fix the symptoms, right? And not everybody's there, not everybody's in that particular situation because generational poverty means oh man did you fix that cold it's time for me to go find somebody else that's infected and get it cold again because it's time you know they they don't ever look past that they just think i've had a cold my whole life this is how this is supposed to work right and i think uh you know what we kind of how we identify it is individuals have barriers that keep them from self-sufficiency um and so many of the people that we interact with, we kind of identify individuals in, in four stages towards self-sufficiency, with the fourth stage being someone who has reached self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. Normally where we interact is at the first stage, which is crisis. Yeah. You know, I'm about to get my lights shut off. Mm-hmm. I'm about to get kicked out of my house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have food to feed my family. That's normally where we're meeting people right. is in that crisis phase. And so Normally, that first bit of assistance that gets them out of crisis, but it still leaves them in a vulnerable stage where they're, you know, if I don't get income, I'm going to be right back here next month or I'm going to be. See you in 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to be in this vicious cycle of vulnerability and crisis. And so a lot of times our services have been, okay, we got you out of crisis. That's kind of like the push out of the bird's nest. And we hope you keep flying forward and get to self-sufficiency. Right. And now, I mean us as well as a lot of nonprofits are becoming a much more strategic and saying, okay, what are the things that keep you in that vulnerable state? What is it? Is it job? Is it car? Is it medical? Is it, you know, is it, you know, life skills? Mm-hmm. What, what has kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, held you captive in that area and keeps you from pressing on to that. What's what we call increased stability, um, you know, which is that third stage. And so, what is it there? And it's, it's beginning to identify those things. And, you know, like you said, many of those things that we're identifying that keep you there, it's not, you know, not being able to pay rent is, you know, a byproduct of living below the, the poverty line. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, that's really the issue. And okay, how do we address that issue? 
What resources do we need to bring around this family to address that issue so that we can get them beyond that so that, you know, this family lives in self-sufficiency. And now what's happening is that the children are seeing life and lived in self-sufficiency and not a life lived dependent upon all these services and things. And I think that's key to breaking the cycle of generational poverty because right now, you know, what kids are seeing is, is this is how you make it. Mm-hmm. This is how you get through this. And, you know, you know, don't really, you know, you can't, you know, there's so many barriers and obstacles, you know, you're better off just learning to live within the cycle of vulnerability and crisis than trying to press forward. And cause that'll just, you know, you, you don't really have the hope that you can break through those barriers. Yeah. And, and so that's a, you know, a key thing that we see uh, taking place. And then, so it's okay. How do we get families through that? Well, and somebody who's lived in the crisis, who's generationally grown up by, and, and I'll, I'll step even one further to say trained within the family that this is how you get and not how you get through job, hard work, career, things like that. This is how you get through programs, right? This is how we're, this is how we funded ourselves where I either didn't have to work or whatever. When that dollar amount exceeds the amount that they can go to work and make for hard work, sweat equity, everything else, job training, everything that puts them in alignment. It's a discouragement to that person as well, too, to go, okay, well, I've got to give up this to go do this. If I go and work here, I lose this X dollar amount. And we end up in a, I mean, let's take, let's, let's, let's step back a little bit. We won't call it unemployment or anything else, but let's step into 2020 where people were met with disaster relief unemployment, meaning that their job, you know, laid them off or, uh, or they were furloughed or whatever. And then they were able to apply to get assistance through the government in order to be able to do that. Listen, some people made more money on that program than they were making at their job. So then when it came time for them to go back to work, now it became this deal like I've been out for four months and I'm making double what I was making at the job that I was at. But then we're going to tell them, hey, come back to work and it's time to come off of this program and go back on it. Well, you know, I kind of like it over here. This is nice, you know, and, and employers then have to make decisions. And while that's great that there's something there to prop people up, it's not to support people for their life. And unfortunately, generational poverty sometimes creates that individual, family, cultural-based, whatever that is, that treats that as the support for life as opposed to the temporary for now so that we can get you in alignment with something else. And and again, I, a lot of people, man, they're... they're their solution to generational poverty is a meme on a social media. You know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you know, whatever that looks like. I worked hard. You should work hard. You're perfectly capable. Why can't you? Uh, it, it's obviously more complex and more complicated than that. But it is also teaching folks that, that you know, who you surround yourself with becomes who you're going to be. If generational poverty is what you surround yourself with and that's your core mechanism of support, then what it, why would we expect that there's going to be a change of something happen? You know, when that's all they see around them. But if I want to, you know, if I want to be a millionaire, I don't go and surround myself 
with a bunch of people making minimum wage jobs. I go and surround myself with successful people who can teach and train and bring me up. But it also works the same way as well. If I'm successful and I surround myself with people who are not successful and don't have any drive, and those are my key core five people in my life, then that's probably going to have the opposite. It's almost like popping a parachute out of a car. It's going to have a drag on there that's going to pull at you the whole time. So job training skills, you know, life skills, things like that, that you can partner up and pair people is getting them the opportunity to see there's more to this than what you just visually see in front of you. But you don't see anything else that's success-wise outside of that because those are the, that's the barrier that you're talking about, the barrier there that this is how I was taught. This is, I mean, if I send somebody to school and I teach them with the best teacher that's possible in math, they're probably, if that's their student, they're probably going to become really good at math. But if I give them the worst teacher in math, how am I going to expect them to keep up with the one who's teaching over here at a high level? And that's turning out students that understand and get it. And so those mentors, you know, I'd imagine that's kind of another thing that kind of falls in line here with Salvation Army is getting mentors in place for these folks as well, too, who can even be a been there, done that, you know, solution to them. Listen, I was where you were. And let me tell you what helped me get past this. The job training opportunities. Most people, you know, I don't have a luxury or an opportunity to go to college. And so culturally, we'll say, man, you don't go to college, you're going to flip burgers all your life. You know, instead of there are many jobs and skill sets that are out there that can be learned through working with a company to move yourself up in there and to be able to be something outside of what you even envisioned when you started. You know, I, I use Walmart as my example for that. When I started with them, I was 19 years old and I was pushing baskets. If you'd have told me then that I would grow through the company and run my own store one day, I told you you're crazy. And all I wanted at that point was I needed a job to pay my bills. <laughs> and that was it. And, and so I, I can relate to that. I understand, like, I need to be right here because this is what I've got to do right now. This is what i got to make instead of what can I make and teaching people as well. This is why the knock is on you know, public schools about teaching finance in public schools, real-life skill sets that people need to leave school with, right? What happens with most people when they make more money? They go and spend more money. You know, I always tell people, you know, as, as income rises, lifestyle usually follows right behind yeah. that. And where poverty happens in somebody's life or crisis is when lifestyle exceeds money. I no longer can support the lifestyle because I'm here and lifestyle's risen above that. And you really don't want to, you don't want to create people who follow the line with just a little gap in there where any little hiccup is a major catastrophe. I closed down for a week because of the ice and you know, I don't get paid for a week. Yeah. Well, and that's the world we live in today is, yeah. is 60%, a very, a very thin margin because we live in a finance world, mm-hmm. finance it all. Yep. You know, you can finance your Amazon purchases. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to pay for that all yeah. right now. Let's and, knock that down into three easy payments. Yeah. And yeah. so what we have is today, in today's day and age, we have more people living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. But that phrase is different than what we used to think of paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. We used to think of paycheck to paycheck. You're living like that to cover your bare necessities. But now we have people living a very nice, comfortable lifestyle paycheck to paycheck because they financed it all. Yeah. And so as soon as, you know, you shut down for a week because of an ice storm or a pandemic hits, yeah. you know, we 
You've got have, somebody in your line have with the Salvation these, Army. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, all the, you know, this year especially with the pandemic, you know, a lot of the things that we felt like if everybody did these things, you know, there's that group, well, if you if you have a six-month emergency fund and you do these things yeah. and you've done all these things, then then financial crisis will never come to you. Right. All that's been washed away because, yeah. you know, we've got people that, that – had the six month fund one year that yeah that, <laughs> that went through it yeah and even if they got work to to manage the house payment and those things there was this gap yeah and so they've they've you know you had people that immediately went out and got another job somehow found one even though it was paying less yeah you know they they hopped in there as a as a bag boy at kroger or at walmart because those stores needed more people at that point so you had people that did that, but yet still it wasn't adding up. And so mm-hmm. you still had people experiencing need. And I think that's that's something that this year has maybe helped a lot with because there's times we have these perspectives of of what someone in poverty is. And it's someone that doesn't want to try or someone that's not. But a lot of times it's someone that's just, they've lost hope. Yeah, You know, because what they've seen or what they've had model for them is, yeah, someone tries to get out of this cycle, but yet look at all the pain and the the hard heartache, hard work that they yeah. have to go through yeah. and they don't really get that much better of a lifestyle. Why would I go through that just so I can say I'm self-sufficient, yeah. you know, yeah. you know, it's, that's some of what's perceived. And so it's, there's not a hope for a brighter future right. through this. And so a lot of times that's what keeps someone in this cycle. It's not that they don't desire a better lifestyle. They don't, they don't desire to be off of government assistance and those things. It's that there's not really hope that it's going to get better by doing that. Yeah. You know, that, that they're going to actually get a better lifestyle. And so that's, that's some of what we see individuals that, that kind of get trapped in the cycle of poverty and homelessness that, that that's it. And, and, you know, I don't think any kid comes out saying, well, I'm just going to live in this kind of lifestyle the rest of my life. But a lot of times, you know, it just think, obstacles come in their way yeah. challenges come in their way early on you know they hit you know when i hit uh uh 14 15 16 you know i wasn't expected to go get a job i was able to uh you know to focus on school and finish school and to to focus on uh the sport that i love that got me a scholarship into college you know because of the family status i was in sure. instead of someone who Oh, you're of employment age. We need a third income in this household right. just to put groceries in. And so it, it, it does have a, an impact and leads into that cycle of poverty. And I, I mean, I think we all experienced as, as teens, as young adults, you know, when we first start getting that first paycheck, we thought we were millionaires, <laughs> yeah. you know, Oh, like, I wait, can, I got paid. Uh, what? Yeah, yeah. I can buy this, this, and this. Yeah. And you know, I do think that's some of where that, and that's where you see that generational effect come in because when I had those inclinations to blow a whole paycheck, you know, I had a parent there that sat me down and said, this is the impact of what you've done. Yeah. But when you've got a parent that instead is, is thankful that you're, Oh, you're spending a little extra money. We got to have a, a nice treat with dinner or something. And, and, you know, it doesn't really teach savings because they've never been able to save and things yeah. like that. I mean, that's the impact of what leads into generational poverty. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's having to teach those lessons. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's decisions that are made because 
they feel forced into a decision. And so it ends up being a bad decision. And I, I, you know, right in my mind, as I'm saying that, I think of cars. I can't tell you how many Mm -hmm. times I've seen a family that's just gotten a horrible deal on a car, Mm -hmm. not because the person price gouged them or something, but because they just bought what they could afford at Mm -hmm. the time. But then it ends up being a car that, that takes so much repair and things like that. And then, you know, this family ends up, maybe they took car payments and the car ends up breaking down as basically unusable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they have to make a decision. Do I continue making payments on a car I can't use yeah. or do I go and get a new car, but now I'm going to kill all my credit. And I mean, these are the things that lead into a cycle of generational poverty. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, you know I, you're talking about cars. I went and bought one last year. And when I sat down, you know, usually the finance side, of, you know, now granted, I've been blessed that I can usually pay cash for a car or whatever. But I'm sitting down and I usually still go through the finance part of it with them just to see what do they have to offer. And, and the guy in the finance department goes, what do you want to do? And I'm thinking, the last time I purchased a car through finance, it was like a 36-month loon, a 48-month loan. Well, it was kind of pretty much yeah. it. Now, all of a sudden, I'm over there, and the guy's like, well, we got everything up to 96 months. And I'm like, 96 months? That's eight years. Yeah. Like, is this a house? Like, are we financing a house here? Like, you know, but again, it's I can pay this amount in this amount of time, or I can pay this amount in this amount of time. And you get people tied in. I mean, you know, financing things, and like you said, the easier that's made for folks. I mean, because there's always someone, right? Listen, I can always, worst case scenario, man, my credit's horrible. Now, all of a sudden, I can go down to the guy that's going to charge me 60% interest on a a quick two-week loan, and I'm going to turn around and pay it. Or I can go down there, and that car, by the way, that I paid off and everything else, let me take that title down with me, and I'll sign it off over here so that I can get $1,500 on a loan. And I've got X number of weeks or months or whatever to get that paid back with X percent. And again, But again, these are all things that, that... when people we send people into the world out of our man, I'm gonna be real careful here. We don't prepare people. I won't say we send people. We don't prepare people when they leave out of the education system to really know what the real world looks like when it comes to payments and what it costs to do everything. And then you get these kids that are out there and they finish college, they've got a degree, they've spent eighty thousand dollars on the degree, and they think, well, hey man, I where's my first hundred thousand dollar year job? I'm entitled to it. I just spent 80 grand. Now where's the money? And now they have this payment that's saddled them here. They now go in and realize I'm not going to make the money that I initially thought I was going to make. I'm going to make a third of that. And I've got these loans and everything else that I'm paying in. They now come off their parents' insurance. And now you're sitting with your own insurance payment. Man, things look a lot different. I didn't realize all this. You had to pay all these things to live and be self-sufficient as to say it, right? And so it's the idea of preparing people, you know, so when you talk about job training, skills, you know, skill training maybe even is a better use of that word. It's about plugging people in to, again, break a generational gap. I mean, I was raised by a single mom, never saved a dime. Yeah. Really, because she couldn't save a dime. Right. I mean, every dime went to something. And that dime created, you know, not being able to see that, and then realizing when I got to of age to go to work, I had a choice. I could play basketball and maybe get a scholarship and go to college. Or I'm going to go to work. And yeah. this is going to guarantee that we keep a roof over our head, gas in the car, insurance, everything that we needed to live. 
And that's how that looked. I also came from that single mom who divorced when I was two years old. And again, I have a choice here that I can continue that generational cycle of divorce and all that kind of stuff. But yet here this next month, my wife and I are going to celebrate 25 years of being married. Amazing. But again, it's breaking the cycle. And it's not that you're, you know, you also have to teach people they're not what their history is yeah. or where they came from. That's really difficult to unhook people from because it is the idea that I can justify being this way because this is how I came. I could justify the fact that I would be a, a womanizer and run around and, and marry and divorce because that's where I came from and that's who my dad was in that particular situation. I can justify that. It's in my DNA, whatever, right? Or I can say, I'm not going to let that dictate who I'm going to be in the future. But I've got to put people in front of me. I had good role models in, in roles of people didn't even know that they were a role model for me. I tell people that the way that I learned to love my wife is through my mom's aunt and uncle who were married almost 60 years. Yeah. They never knew that I'm over there looking at them as my, my role model for what a good marriage looked like, but that's what I carried on from there. And on my mom's aunts and it's really my aunt my great aunt on her deathbed was where she learned that mm. where i said i've got to tell you this yeah you need to know this my marriage is successful because of your marriage yeah paying that back just with those words and not once did she sit there and think man i you know i'm gonna make sure this kid knows how to love a, a woman right yeah. and knows what a good marriage looks like but paying that back to them as an homage for listen your life stretched in ways you never even knew and yeah. while you guys were over here at 50 years of marriage both holding hands and your arms around each other and loving on each other and everything else i was watching so it is the idea that you can have a mentor outside of even that direct household that you're in that can put a kid put a young adult in line with a future that they never see yeah but I they got to believe it well and i think it takes that that interaction or that, that, you know, that if, if you had only ever seen failed marriages, yeah. now I wouldn't sit here and say you marriage couldn't have been successful because, right. you know, I'm, I'm a pastor. I believe in the redemption of Jesus Christ. And there's and, a, there's a 94% things. chance that my marriage fails based on staying in that realm of this only seeing failed marriages right. around me. I have a 6% chance of success. Yeah. And see, that's, and that's the same thing we see. I mean, it's a high percentage of a child that lives the majority of their life in poverty, mm -hmm. the likelihood that they're going to then be in poverty. Absolutely. And, that, and that's the thing of where we've got, you know, as the Salvation Army, we've got that opportunity to step in there. Yeah. And if we're just providing rent and utility assistance, mm -hmm. we're not stepping in there. We're saying this okay, this is how you live this life. You know, yeah. you come see us when you get to, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know. Yeah, that's but, not the cause. But that's, we've, when we truly step in and now we're working, you know, with a family and, and many a times it starts with that interaction because that's where a family first kind of opens up. You know, okay, you've come into rent and utility and we begin to work with you and now we begin to see, okay, what's, what else is there that, that you need help with or need services and we begin to make that interaction. And then life skill classes or, or opportunities to, for, a, uh, you know, uh, of course, Dave Ramsey's the big sure. financial piece university. Yep. You know, there's a lot of churches that do that. Can we connect you in with a church that offers that? Absolutely. Or other financial advisors that'll, 
begin to help you and show you the things that you need in order to be successful, you know, or, or, or you know, success defined as getting to that point of self-sufficiency, yeah. you know, we can begin to work with you on those things. And, and then that's that interaction that then changes that and has yeah. that opportunity to change. That. Well, you know, the Dave Ramsey deal is a good, a good avenue for folks that it's, you know, it's something that they can get plugged into immediately and start at any given point. Right. But Dave also says openly, I will always have a job because yeah. there will always be people who mismanage their money. Yeah. You know, and, and he's right. I mean, because you see it again, repeated time after time yeah. after time. So, you know, you guys being able to plug folks into mentors, job skill training, um, I look at things like big brothers, big sister program, things like that, where there's a mentor along the way that can guide someone. Cause it can't just be the Salvation Army a hundred percent of the time, but it can be the Salvation Army again, working as a bridge to get them plugged in over here yep. that this is maybe the gap. It's maybe the one piece that's missing to get this kid over the hump, right. to get this young adult over the hump, even to get this old adult over the hump to realize that there's a better way to do this. And it's much funner on this side of the bridge than it is over where you're over. I think I just much funner. I don't think that's where, but you know, it, it's better over here for you to be right. living in this world than it is to try and survive over here in this world. So let's walk forward to, we're going to step into the storm from last week. Yeah. Okay. So I don't think I'm going to reach anybody here that isn't going to know what happened last week, but obviously it was one of the first times ever, I think, in Texas, it might be in Texas history, that there was not a single county in the state of Texas that was not under a winter storm warning. Right. And I think it, I heard some ridiculous number, like 70% of the United States was covered in snow at some point hmm. last week. So Texas, again, unprecedented. I think the, the last time we had seen weather here, I think, locally, was uh 1903 i think i mean we got down to single digit numbers we obviously and people who are up north this is always kind of the funny thing is they're like come on man we're negative 20s up here yeah, yeah. you know y'all are built for that there's snow plows there's things that are right. in place to take care of that we are in complete shutdown mode when we get to that so uh i had a friend uh, last week that had posted out on social media and this was right before the hard freeze came when we got into single digits saying Hey, I just drove past Salvation Army and there's a line around the building for people. Again, I don't I don't drive that way. I'm not over there, but I'm like, oh, you know, and then you sit there and go, man, I got that extra jacket. I got that extra blanket. I've got this stuff. And so uh, if you would kind of tell people yeah. what you experienced last week walking through that front side before the real cold stuff came and then what you're seeing on the after effect now that the storm has kind of passed through and, you know, it's like Texas, the powerball lottery just throwing out numbers like you know we're three 27 62 five you know so what have you seen last week leading up into that what are you seeing right now now that it's kind of cleared the path of texas but then there's still this need that's still coming yeah. to your doorstep and what are you foreseeing that's going to be coming in the next coming couple of weeks yeah so uh you know during the winter season you know, we always have things like heaters and blankets and jackets available. A lot of times, of course, being in Texas, there's not normally that much of a need for those things, especially where we live in Texas. Um, but anytime we begin to see where we're going to have a long period, extended period of cold weather, and, uh, and you know, when they were projecting the unforeseen temperatures, you know, at first you always have a thing of like, well, let's wait and see if it's really going to be true. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, the weather people are never yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. But about, you know, a week before we knew like this is not, you know, it's 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 being projected 
you know, if they miss by a few degrees, we're still in in ten degree weather. Yeah, you know, life threatening. You know, so we began uh, getting the word out that we had blankets, we had heaters, we had jackets available, and um, you know, we're n- nowhere near expecting the power situation that we faced and so many people came in looking for the heaters Mm -hmm. um and we were you know with those we were still giving out blankets and uh uh, blankets and and jackets to make sure people had those and thankfully as word got out of the need we were meeting we also got an increase in donations of blankets and jackets and like i said at the point at that time i think people were kind of taking those as just a an extra thing like yeah well i got the heater but yeah go ahead and give me a a blanket and a jacket little did we know because of the power situation those would become the the big items that were needed and so i think we gave out over uh 400 blankets and jackets to individuals and about 100 heaters out um and so uh we were doing that just as a a preempt you know again not knowing really how bad things were get would get um, but we got those out and got, you know, a lot of families, those to make sure they were as prepared as possible for the storm that was coming. And then, uh, you know, Sunday hits and, uh, we actually deployed a team uh, with our disaster unit over to Walker County because they were opening a cold weather shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our, uh, mobile kitchen and, uh, and team deployed over there to serve that cold weather shelter. And I think, even Sunday night, I think they had maybe 10 people in the shelter that was prepared to hold at least 50 to, and I think it ended up, they had to increase capacity to about 70 and opened up a secondary cold weather shelter when it was all said and done. But, you know, even that first night, I think we all thought we'd be able to kind of weather it out in our homes. It was really there for those individuals that didn't have homes and things like that. But then obviously rolling blackouts rolling blackouts hit power outages hit and all of a sudden you know that shelter becomes over overwhelmed stuff locally Mm -hmm. began began becoming overwhelmed and it became uh, a much you know dire situation as uh, we continued to to work to meet need in those situations and so along with that you know we continue to to give out coats and and things uh to individuals in need to hopefully give them whatever they could to kind of weather through that storm a lot of people were able to go to Reed Arena and the, the that was ran locally by the Red Cross and uh, the food bank did a great job with that and mm-hmm. the uh, what they were able to do there for our community and so that I think you know literally saved lives um, with with that work being done and just uh, you know amazing effort and once again you know we saw the community kind of rise up and help support each other as well with individuals uh, taking people into their house and, and things like that and um, you know just really. Uh, um, I think, you know, for the, the number of things that we did not see coming, you know, it was really uh, kind of responding in the moment from there forward to try to get people the, the resources they needed just to get through those those next few days. And thankfully now we're in the, the, the 70 degree side of it. Yeah. But, but now what we know is we had a week where basically our community and economy was shut down, which, yeah. uh, you know, in, a, in an economy that was already kind of stretched – uh, thin because of COVID. Now, again, you have people that lost out on a week of income because yeah. work was closed or, you know, had to throw out everything in the fridge. And, mm. um, you know, like I said, my wife and I just moved in June and uh, you don't necessarily, you know, I think of our weekly grocery bill, but then when you have to replenish the whole fridge, yeah. Yeah. the additional things, and it's not just the the one week 
built, you know, it just becomes exponential. And so we really see uh, many of our financial assistance programs are going to be again strapped. Uh, pr- yeah. Pressed to the max yes. because of, of the fact of this storm, because now families that were maybe starting to figure it out, starting to turn that corner. Now they've experienced, we just lost a week's worth of income and mm. we've got to replenish the fridge and, and do those things. And so, you know, many people might think, oh, utility bills are going to be down because the power is off so much. But, yeah, you know, no. that's you it's know, not what we're hearing, obviously. Right. And we're going to see, you know, that need still be there yeah. for rent and utility assistance and an increased level that we'll need to to be able to meet that at. Well, um, think about what we said earlier, people living paycheck to paycheck. Right. Right. And literally half of that paycheck is gone for that next week. Right. <clears throat> so it may not be a full paycheck that got gone, but half of the paycheck that got gone. But. They also didn't, in paycheck to paycheck, like you said, don't have to replenish an entire food system in their house. They don't have to to pay a, gosh, I don't want to jinx anything here, but they don't have to pay an electric bill that's double or triple what it would normally be. You know, but again, so this is going to be a long stretch process for the Salvation Army as well, too. People who, gosh, I don't know prepared is the right word, but let's just say they were blessed in the in the idea that they their power didn't go out as much or they didn't lose food or they were a little more prepared on the front side of it or whatever. I mean, I, I was putting on my social media stuff that I did when, when we were up in the north. We, you know, we lived in Amarillo. We lived in, in Omaha. So I did things like fill my bathtub with water. So when our water actually did freeze up, we could still use the toilets and yeah. things like that. Man, you say that kind of stuff to a South Texan, they don't have a clue of what you're talking yeah. about. You know, I'm just trying to put it out there from this, the perspective of here's some things to expect when it gets this cold because this is stuff that happens. Go fill your car up with gas because if you have a little amount of gas in there, there's a high probability for a long-term freeze that your gas will gel up in your car. Yeah. Ask us out Texan about gelling up gas in a car. Ask them what stay bill is where you have to put that in there to ensure that their gas doesn't do that. I mean, these are all things that, that preparedness is only as good as what you've experienced, right? Same deal for you guys. There's no way y'all would have seen rolling blackouts as an issue. You just see it as, look, there's going to be cold. So we have two things to face here, getting people warm, getting people fed. Yeah. So if warm is housing, if warm is blankets, jacket, heater, fed is, you know, making sure that people have a food supply to get through this process. That's probably the initial roadmap that you've got in front of you. But what precedent sets that you're doing rolling blackouts through the entire state of Texas that's completely beyond anybody's control, nor was conversation on the front side of any of this that it was going to happen? Again, not blaming the energy companies because the energy companies are in the same boat of going, we have unprecedented draw that's never happened in our lifetime to be able to even say that a, a power grid can pull this kind of amperage or megawattage, whatever you want to, whatever the number is. I'm you know, not an electrician, but I did stay at Holiday and Express one time. <laughs> um, so, you know, everybody's working in an unprecedented right. crisis, and it is a crisis. And it's a, a crisis of magnitude that I don't think people had a full comprehension of. If you're outside of the state and you saw, ah, come on, man, Texas just got some snow and some ice, man. It's no big deal. Well, think of it in this aspect. Harvey hits the, co- the Gulf Coast and you've got flooding, major flooding, unprecedented 55 inch. I mean, we got 55 inches of rain here in College Station. 
And you've got flooding that's happened in this southern location of, of Texas. And everybody is deploying there. And out-of-state right. resources are coming in to help those locations. But you're talking about the southern portion and the beach location of, of, of Texas, 75 miles in, maybe 90 miles in. You're talking about the entire state of Texas and this other aspect here. And like you were saying earlier, those resources that would normally come into a localized disaster – now what do they do? I mean, there's not enough resources to take on the state of Texas as it is. And so now those resources now fall directly to local. And there were, you know, how are you to see that without a roadmap that tells you, hey, by the, by the way, Timothy, you're going to have this deal where you're going to give out blankets and jackets and heaters and everything else. We're going to complicate this a little bit more for you and tell you that. <laughs> You know, 85, 90% of your, your community is going to go through rolling blackouts uh, where they maybe got power for 30 minutes and maybe don't have power yeah. for, I'd, I'd love to say, I think 30 and 30 from who I heard, yeah, that, that would have been good. a blessing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was more like 30 and five hours and, yeah. you know, things like that. So, um, so that challenge becomes even greater. Now those places, like who would have saw through this that Reed Arena needs to become a warming station for people, right. not necessarily that are homeless, but are people who can't heat their house because they can't get electric to their house to heat yeah. it. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. Typically when we think cold weather shelter, we think homeless. Yeah. Uh, you know, we need to be able to home house the homeless population Absolutely. that's not already in shelters. Right. It's not already in houses. We're not thinking, oh, we need cold weather shelter to house people who aren't going to have power for extended hours. Um, And even if we are thinking that or have a contingency for that, we're not thinking of it in the quantities that what it was. And that's what we saw. And I mean, even locally, you know, like I said, we we committed a unit to to the Walker County Huntsville area uh, in preparation because they were expecting more homeless individuals in that shelter. Right. But then when it came time where the need was greater here, you know, we're, we then become strapped for resources even locally. Right. And that's happening in just about every county in Texas that's in the same situation. It's, we're not, it's not just that we can't get resources in to meet Texas. It's, it's also within a county, everything's spread thin and we're, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're kind of meeting what need we can, but knowing that we're not at the level we would like to be in meeting that need because of just the the sheer mass of the need that yeah. they ended up well happening. and the timing's terrible i mean you're coming off a 2020 covid on the backside yeah. here where your donations are down we were talking about that before we came on and and i don't want to bury this number in here so i'm not going to ask you the number yet i don't want to bury it in this conversation because i think people need to hear that number but you're coming on the backside of a down year and so your resources are limited because of that and you're going into potentially, I don't even know potentially is the word anymore. You went into what is, will probably historically go down as one of the worst weather incidents that has happened that has affected a larger mass location in, in literally Texas. And you have no way to account for that or prepare for that. And again, this is where local rises up to meet need, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, in the, in the conversation leading up to, hey, it's going to be four degrees outside and people going oh man you know i've got jackets and blankets and extras and i don't need that stuff now it's almost the idea you 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 start seeing people on social media that weren't even planning on being impacted by this 
I got a place to stay. I got heat. I got water. Right. I got everything I need. I went to the grocery store. I got everything that I need. Yep. And boom, no power. And or they're literally iced in. You know, car doesn't work anymore because the battery is not, you know, cranking in that time. And and so now it's neighbor helping neighbor, you know, because I can't even get to you if I'm trying to get to you to to get services because it's too dangerous for me to be out on the road. And same vice versa the other way. You guys can't go house to house and check on everybody. Right. The resources just aren't there for that. Um, but the the draw, the pull into the resources that you did have, I mean, did it wipe you? Yeah, I mean, as far as the, it, I mean, the blankets, the heaters, I mean, we, we cleaned out of those things. I mean, we have a few left of blankets and jackets, but... You know, the other thing we know is that, like, that is now not the need, obviously, yeah. As, yeah, 70 as, degrees we sit, outside. as we sit in these warmer temperatures. But yeah. uh, now the, the focus becomes, okay, do we have the financial resources to meet the needs that are going to come as a byproduct of this past week? You, yeah. know, um, you know, if families are dealing with, with pipes or things like that, you know, those are unforeseen expenses. Yeah. And, Being displaced from their house because right. of damage, things along those lines. Right. So, I mean, we have a you know, many of things that we're going to continue to be addressing and finding new situations. Um, Now, the good thing is our team's kind of used to that in the last (laughs) year, but you know, the, that's what we're faced with now is, you know, so yeah, I mean, we got pretty much cleaned out of those resources. Um, You know, we don't really at this point, don't have a need to replenish those resources, thankfully, but you know, it's going to be the, the additional, yeah, I know, I know, come on, keep the lights on, but, uh, but it's going forward, you know, we don't, we don't just like we didn't necessarily have a full scope of what the need would be because it's such an unforeseen situation. Yeah. We don't necessarily have a full scope of what will Long it be term. going forward? Yeah. Um, what's the impact, you know, and, and I mean, I think that's in a lot of areas in our community, you know, mm-hmm. businesses, we don't, there are so many businesses that are just already on that walking a hairline. And, and now all of a sudden you lost a week of yeah. business. It's, yep. What you know? Where does that put them? And and those are the things that I think we're going to see continue to play out in the weeks and days to come, and and probably months to come. And and uh, you know, I definitely think you know we definitely need more resources to continue to meet more need. But you know, what exactly that, how expansive that's going to be is is kind of the thing we don't fully know right now. Immediate and, resources for you guys now is that cash donation. That's a huge one yeah. because of rent and utility, yeah. and then um, uh, dry goods uh, yeah, food. Uh, to help us supplement our food pantry. Yeah. Because uh, we're going to have, we know we're going to see more families that need uh, food. Uh, well, that, something know. something has to give here. I mean, let's assume that. Gosh, I, I hate saying it because I'm going to talk it into to existence here, but let's assume double electric bills. Yeah, double charge. I mean. So the family that is paycheck to paycheck or yeah. the family that lost a half a paycheck and every, nothing's going to stop. I mean, electric company's not going to go, Hey man, we're going to, we're going to let you slide on this one. You know, although I did see a funny meme about somebody saying, well, you know, had yeah. rolling blackouts. So hopefully you expect rolling payments. And, uh, but that's going to show up on somebody's doorstep that, Hey man, if, if I'd been able to keep working, and if I if I hadn't experienced damage in my house that I've now got to come off of one percent of my deductible to fix or whatever, you know now this pool starts you know 
chipping away at anything that even if, like you said earlier, even if they had it saved, they're probably going to be that plus. And so now the need becomes greater. And you don't have a roadmap for this. Again, you're flying blind into this. This could possibly be that next week you could end up with a line outside with electric bills in their hands. Yeah, and we this this coming week fires up our we begin booking our appointments for rent and utility for the next month. Mm. And really the our our usual process is we have a budget amount that we can spend each month on right. those things. And right now that that budget hasn't increased because so we have this increased need, but yet financially we've not been able to Offset increase it. that yet. Yeah. Uh, you know, we hope that, you know, maybe through some donations or things like that, we will be able to increase that and serve more families. Uh, but it's really dependent upon, you know, that, that the money coming in that then will allow us to address that need and meet that need. And, uh, and it's going to be key. And, and I think, you know, like I said, we've seen this community step up time and time right. again and meet those needs. And so, uh, you know, that's what we're kind of expecting and trusting again now, but uh, you know, that's what's going to be necessary for us to, well, continue to I just think needs. it's imperative that, you know, for those those families that are, hey, man, we're good. We, we got it. We, we survived it. We'll move on. It's imperative that those guys hear this because, again, it's, it's like if it's not at my doorstep, then it's not really in, in my line of sight of consideration. So when you say, you know, some people would walk out and go, man, I'll bet that they're wiped out of blankets and heaters and jackets and so now they show up with a, a truckload of, of blankets and jackets and heaters, yeah. and you're going, thanks. I mean, you're not going to turn it away, and you're also going to pray that it doesn't go back down into single digits, but that's not the immediate need. Right. The next immediate need off of this is probably going to be financial. Right. And probably, again, in a pull that you probably have not seen before and that you can't plan for. And, again, so it was like, hey, man, if we knew that Snowpocalypse 21 was coming – we could have done some fundraising before all that. And now it's yeah. knee deep in the middle of it. And people are going to show up in desperate, desperate times because they have had damage because they have missed paychecks because I was already unemployed because of COVID, you know, and now here's something else, you know, that struggle, you know, you're right. The community will step up, but the community steps up when the community knows. Right. And, and so those, you know, KBTX stories and things like that, online fundraising, which again, we'll get into for, for the Salvation Army. Those are all pieces of the equation that the money has to go to the direct need locally first. You know, whereas if this doesn't happen and there was money coming in, then that's money to go to other programs over here. You know, I was reading like $200 donation to the Salvation Army. Prior to all of this, $200 donation to the Salvation Army puts a vet in a, a, a housing situation with counseling for a week. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, again, that's awesome, you know, but when that resource locally doesn't become the high priority, where that money has to come from somewhere. You're not being fun. I mean, who's funding you outside of donations? I mean, so, you know, we, we can't think of it in the terms that the government's going to come and bail this one out. Right. You know, so it, it has to be neighbor taking care of neighbor, community rising to the occasion to raise the money necessary to take care of those who found themselves in situations by no fault of their own, literally in a situation that nobody could have planned for. 
And so if, if you can't plan for it as an organization, they can't plan for it as being right in the middle of their storm, literally, uh, now something has to rise to the occasion to fill the gap because this gap's going to be huge. Yeah. And so that, that's kind of what I wanted to, to get to talking about what the immediate need is going to be because the immediate need now is not jackets and blankets and right. heaters. The immediate need is probably financial and food. Yeah. And so, you know, food, you know, people are probably pretty good to, to jump on quickly. And again, you guys, I'm sure work with the food banks and everything right. else, but again, the, the draw on those guys is just as big, if right. not overextending what the what they're normally used to. And so now it becomes letting people know, Hey, listen, anything you can do to help us, you know, uh, I'm not telling you don't bring us jackets and blankets and heaters. I mean, if you feel the need that you need to drop those off and you found their extra, you're going to take them, but immediate need that's going to arise to the next deal that you're not going to be able to foresee, you know, how much it's going to cost and what that's going to be. You don't want to turn people away. You don't want to not be able to rise up to meet the gap that people are going to need to fill. But, it's coming. Uh, right. I mean, it's just a natural knee-jerk reaction to this. And it's not just Bryan College Station. It's all over Texas that you're going to see that. It's just a, a – you know, you can literally follow the swatch of the storm. And it's, right. you know, wherever it made contact is what it's going to create. So let's talk on that because now I think everybody needs to go from – we're sitting here going, hey, man, if you can donate, please do that. But I want to step back to 2020's numbers. Uh, local so national yeah. for for uh, the Salvation Army last year was an eighteen percent decrease in donations, which accounted to about sixty million dollars for the national level. National, yeah, yeah. So I want to make sure I got that right because I'm sure globally it was way worse than that. But what was it locally for you? Locally, um, you know, right in the midst of COVID, we saw an increase of donation for specific COVID assistance, but then kind of across our other donation sources. And especially as we've gotten away from, uh, we've gotten further into COVID, we've not gotten away from it. That's for sure. But, uh, we've seen about a decrease of about 12% over our funding sources. Um, and so, you know, the, the hope is that of course, as things rebound, that that will rebound as well. But, you know, and thankfully we're continuing to meet things at an increased need mm-hmm. um, and and because of some of the funding we got early on. But, you know, uh, now when adding something like this, you know, it just puts that funding even more uh, strapped. And, you know, as we, what we're seeing is a need for more and more. Right. You know, not, not that, I, I don't think our need level is going to recede anytime soon, no. you know. And so, um, especially because now it's like this, someone that might have weathered the COVID situation financially now all of a sudden a week like this has been the thing that broke, devastated them. you know, the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. type deal. And so, you know, we continue to see those demands on our funding sources and, you know, we, we have to kind of begin to introduce things that are going to help people get out of the situation financially that they've found themselves in because of COVID right. um, to help rebound them and to make sure that this doesn't lead to all of a sudden uh, a, a larger percentage of our population living in homelessness yeah. or poverty. And so that's, that's kind of the situation we find ourselves in as far as uh, need for support of, of our programs and our initiatives going forward. So I was surprised to hear that 
you know, when people think of the Salvation Army, the number one fundraiser that they visually in, in, see in front of them is the the red kettle. Right. Right. Yep. And I was surprised to hear that that fifty percent of your donations happen between November and December. Yeah. So about uh, in the red buckets alone, uh, about. Um, $200,000 comes in through those red buckets in, mm-hmm. in past years. This year we were down around about uh, 175,000. Significant. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's a month of utility and rent assistance in the past. It's right. about $25,000. Uh, now, then, as well as the Red Kettle campaign, of course, during that time, a lot of people, especially this year, they can't maybe make it out to a store. They'll send a check in or we do some mail appeal campaigns that reach out to people. And in that total time, about November 1st to December 31st, we raise about 50% of our operating budget uh, for the fiscal year. And so really a key time, and it really sets up what we're able to do in, in, those the, months. in the following co- calendar year in as far as service. Yeah. Um, and so, um, uh, you know, this year being down in Kettles definitely has an impact and, and we're hoping we can make it up maybe in other areas in order to, to, to continue to meet the need and, and also be able to continue to meet an increased need yeah. that we've seen. So, again, something that I want the community to be able to hear here is, you know, we get accustomed to seeing and hearing the bell and they're in front of the stores and everything else. And we do our parts when we're going through there. And COVID probably just in general there, you know, spooks some people, I'm sure, where it's. I'm not going out into those places to, I don't want to touch the money. I don't, you know, whatever. I mean, whatever that looks like. Right. But the important part that I think we were discussing before we came on air here that I want people to hear is also the need for the volunteer role and the mechanism to have people in those locations, more volunteers that you have more kettle locations that you can round up and, and organize with, with businesses in most cases, with businesses that you could put a bell ringer in front of to raise money at. But we were talking before we came on air that what happened in November and December, A&M decides, hey, yep. we're going to run to Thanksgiving, and we're not coming back until the second week in January. Yeah. Right? And there goes, you know, I, I, I'm definitely going to exceed this number because it's not this number. But there's 68,000 students in that, right? Yeah, right. Poof. You know, go virtual, don't come back. Yeah. You know, they're not here. And some of those are, are student organizations that help you in that process. They help man up some of the stuff. You've got, you know, kids that are out there that are trying to do their part in the community to help with the with raising the money through the Salvation Army by ringing a bell somewhere. And now that resource isn't there for you. Right. And that's a huge resource. I mean, we're talking yeah. about almost a, you know, probably maybe at this rate, probably a fifth, but we'll call it a fourth of the population that disappears. And in the COVID world already, that's already, you know, you're already seeing the, the, the skeptical, you know, I don't know that I want to be out and about with all these people. You don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking in terms of my lap, my retail history where, What's one of the biggest you know days that you're going to raise money in front of a Walmart is probably going to be a Black Friday, mm-hmm. where you got a ton of people that walk into the store all looking to purchase on that one day. It's one of our busiest days of the year, right? You know, doing over a million dollars in sales in most of these stores, and that's gone. We're no longer doing Black Fridays because that's not COVID friendly to have you know stampedes of people running <laughs> yeah. through doors, breathing on people. You know, so these are all things that that again. 
backside of it is if we don't talk about it, we don't think about it. And so you go through that November and December with all of these things stacked against you. You don't have the resources that you would normally have during those months to be able to collect. And you got skepticism from the public that being out in these locations, especially high traffic, high volume locations for some people is just a a no go, you know, like, you know, elderly folks and things like that are not planning on going out and getting into a crowd of a thousand people that are out shopping somewhere. So that's all working against you. Y'all go to an online program where, you know, you try to offset a little bit of that through online, you know, donations. The Angel Tree program doesn't go away. And we were talking about that again before we went on air is, is your need for the Angel Tree actually went way up. Right. So what were those numbers again? So we saw about 25% increase in applicants. We went from 800 applicants, that's families, yeah. uh, to 1,000 families. Uh, which that leads to about being an additional 500 children that need to get adopted from the angel tree. Right. So we started out knowing going into the season that we had 500 additional children that we had to get adopted in a time where number of donors are decreasing, students are leaving early, and that impacted us because there's a student group that leads an adoption campaign of those angels and because of them having to leave early and move their whole campaign online, mm. that was down another 500. So we, we actually, now we need the community to, to make up a thousand angels right. above and beyond kind of what they had done last year. And so, um, you know, and, and most of those angels, that, that uh, the value of what's in the bag comes out to, on average, about $50. Yeah. So you're talking $50,000 right. worth of toys and things that, directly out of people's pockets right. from somewhere. Right. right. Yeah. It's, it's where, you know, how are we going to make that up? And, uh, you know, amazingly the community again came around and, and met that challenge and, and stepped up to that. But, you know, those are, those are the things that we're seeing across the table is yeah. that everything's seen that kind of increase in that need. And, you know, and thankfully through whether it's donated goods or things like that, you know, we, we're continuing to be able to meet that need, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not ceasing, you know, we're continuing to see that increase and things like angel tree, you know, we're the, we're continuing to meet the need, but also we're kind of completely changing the way in which we do everything because of COVID. Yeah. You know, the application process used to be a face-to-face application process for families. Now that had to be moved all online. Yeah. And I can tell you last year, 2020, March, 2020, there were no plans for an online portion of <laughs> no. that process. And no. then by September, we're doing the whole thing online. That's yeah. just, you know. Crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and, and still having to do everything to the same level, if not more, than what we've done in the past. Um, you know, we have to verify that families qualify for that. And so figuring out ways that families could, could send us information, but yet we also need to be able to protect the information. Right. You know, those are all the obstacles that are kind of being addressed behind the scenes so that we can continue to meet need and do it safely. Our food pantry uh, had to be moved. It used to be people would come in, check in and get their food and take their basket out to their car. Now that had to come be turned into a complete drive through food pantry. And I mean, that's a complete overhaul of a system of how we get that food out and in the midst of that, we're seeing the need for that double uh, on a weekly basis. And so, you know, it's not just change the whole system, but it's change it and do it at a larger quantity. And, and that's, I mean, that's kind of some of the pressure and things 
that uh, we've continued to do during COVID. And it was the same thing with the red kettle effort is, you know, there was a point where we weren't sure would stores even let us stand out. And uh, many, you know, many of the stores allowed us to this year, which was amazing. But now there's even more pressure on that campaign to be successful because we need more funds than we ever needed before to meet this increased need. And so uh, that's the challenge that we continue to, to face. And, yeah. you know, little obstacles here and there have a have a big impact. You know, a lot of the stores, because of safety protocols, and I mean, completely understandable, completely rightfully so, you know, they had us require us to move that kettle sign and stand a certain distance away from the door. And in some places that was cutting income in half at that yeah. location. Yep. And so, I mean, it's things like that, that are, that every, those little things start adding up and, and just then our volunteers were down about 40% for our red kettle effort. And, and again, that's, that's about 400 hours. And if volunteers raise about $50 an hour, which is about the average we see for volunteers, that's $20,000. And so those are the things that we're adding up kind of across the board, um, uh, you know, and that we continue to see. I mean, Christmas, because that's such a big time for us, it was magnified. But, mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing that on similar scale throughout the rest of the year. And so just the, you know, I say that to say the increased reliance we have on the community to continue to meet that need, whether it's through volunteering or through donations, to help us to continue to, to serve the community. Yeah, and, and listen, most of, of Salvation Army's fundraising is visual, yeah. meaning out of sight, out of mind. You know, I was telling you, you know, normally we go into the mall and there'd be a big tree and all these, you know, angel tags yeah. hanging on them and you go pick your angel tags and go shop it, you know. Tree's not there, you know. So again, it's it's kind of like, you know, I can, I can remember, and, and the trigger for us this year wasn't my wife and I, it was my daughter going, Hey, we're going to get angel, uh, angel tree gifts this year. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we need to do that. Like, well, yeah, we need to get that done. <laughs> it's getting close. Like, and, and the first thing was, like, let's go to the mall. Let's go pick two and we'll go get them. We go to the mall. Hey, where did you, where you guys have the angel tree? At? Oh, we don't have this year. It's all online. And we're like, Oh, Okay. But again, our we were programmed that that's yeah. where we went. Every year we go to that big tree and we just start plucking names off of there and we go and fill them and bring them back and drop them off at the table. And even the table looked different on the drop-off this yeah. year. I mean, so and so you have that. If the red kettle's not there, again, that's a visual and an audible at yeah. the same time. You know, if you don't have that, then again, that money is going to naturally decrease just because that's the programming that's taken place. You have the you also have the uh, the luncheon that yep. is another big part of your of your fundraiser as well. Again, an in person. How do you right? Yeah, how do you yeah. I mean, that it? had to go virtual last yeah. year, and thankfully raised similar funding, but still, uh, you know, just I think especially for the Salvation Army, I know it was one of the first virtual luncheons. Yeah, and I mean a great. You know, I don't get to take credit for that one because I wasn't here yet. But uh, it was a great, great step in innovative direction to go that way. A lot of people were at that point still postponing. Yeah. You know, thinking that maybe September would bring us something better, but uh, you know, or canceling, just outright canceling, which is you know a significant financial impact for those those locations that did that. But then, uh, you know, here for them to have that innovative approach. You know, it, it one raised the key dollars we needed at such a key time, 
But then it also helped many other Salvation Armies because they kind of laid the groundwork and the model of what that would look like to secure funding. And, and you know, which, again, was has become critical funding, yeah. um, you know, because because of the need and the service that we have to provide. Again, I don't want to speak anything to an existence here, uh-huh. but but if virtual becomes the way of the future, you know, then again, visual no longer becomes yeah. the, the knee-jerk reaction. You know, I mean, you think, you know, I've, I've lived the kettle life forever. I've lived it as a customer who drops stuff off in there. I've lived it as the manager who has, you know, them out in front of my store. And you're not going to tell me that, that, I, I've watched it time and time again where somebody walks up and the bell's ringing. They're like, hey, you got, any, you got an extra dollar or something in your purse there? And they reach in and boom, yeah. it happens. That doesn't happen if it's not right. there. And it doesn't happen if it goes virtually. Yeah. I mean, it, one of the amazing things they tell us is that one of the first places that a lot of kids learn about giving to people in need oh gosh, is at yeah. that red kettle. Because they walk it. out and they say, why is this crazy person ringing this yeah. bell? You know, standing out here in the cold weather and stuff. And it's, I mean, the, you know, it's more of a genuine, honest question than that. But And for the first time, parents go, well, this is, you know, they're doing this because someone needs Christmas. Someone needs, yeah. you know, someone's homeless. And so for a lot of kids, you know, that's the first place they learn about yeah. it. Listen, I, so, I've got a picture of myself and my niece standing out in front of the Walmart store in Madisonville that I was running, ringing a bell, doing the doing our hour for the, the, the kettle to raise money there. And, and again, for her, probably one of the first experiences that she has faces, you know, face to face that, you know, we're not just going to, you know, of course she's stuck with me. So that's, that's a bigger problem for her because I'm not going to let her just sit there and ring the bell. I'm going to, you know, you need to greet people. You need to welcome them. Wish you Merry Christmas, do all this other stuff here. And, you know, I want you actively engaged in this. Right. And, and I've got pictures of us standing in front of the door and, and again, her being able to see it firsthand and then also understanding, like, it's not a matter of, I don't want you to learn that a lot of people pass the kettle and never put anything in it. I want you to learn that it's important that we do our part to get people to stop. And that's more of an experience with those folks. Yeah. There are those folks that just, I normally drop a dollar in, or I normally drop a five or a 10 or whatever. Uh, but if I can create the experience by just having a quick conversation with somebody and hold them there for 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes by having that conversation, it's a lot harder to walk away and not put something yep. in the kettle. Uh, but it's hard to find those people too, that are engaging. Yep. Cause you know, you listen, just the same way you can find people over there that are sitting there with the bell and they're dink, 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 <laughs> dink, you know, and that's all they do. Uh, and you're not going to complain about it because they're doing a service again on their own time as a volunteer to get money into that kettle. Uh, but some do it really well. And it is again, the experience that they create. And I guarantee you that's a direct, you know, a direct correlation to how much money ends up in that kettle at the end of the night. So, but again, if, if people that you relied on groups that you relied on kids, you know, college students, you know, businesses, whatever that you rely on to help aid as a part of that go away, then again, it's, it's not, it's not a matter of, Oh, well, we'll just, you know, get these folks yeah. or, you know, how do you replace a, a pool of 68,000 people? Yeah. You know, how do you replace four major businesses that garnered you whatever, $20,000 the year before for an entire kettle run, you know, in front of their businesses that now have closed up shop and aren't there anymore. You know, so, and we were saying the more volunteers that you have that can man kettles and do kettle time allows you the opportunity to open more spots with kettles. Right. 
And so what you'd love to be able to have is I don't have enough kettles to open, right. and, you know, across all of these locations that people are volunteering for. But then it's also the idea that most of the people that are volunteering for you are volunteering an hour or two hours out of their day there. You know, it's not a volunteer for, you know, 18 hour days to yeah. go out there and do it. So, you know, I, I think when we can, when I, I told you my goal here was to put the Salvation Army in the lens and really clarify the lens to people yeah. who are listening to this and getting them to put all those pieces together. If I said, you know, if I take somebody in here from off the streets and I said, do you think Salvation Army's donations were up or down last year? They're going to say down. Yeah. They're going to get it. You know, I mean, they understand, you know, but if we take and we tighten the lens up here and we give dollars and numbers, right. then we give the whys. Now we have the disaster plus all the stuff you just came off of. Like if I sat here and go, how many more kids do you think were on the tree this year that weren't on there last year? Nobody's going to sit in that chair and say a thousand. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and so, and I say a thousand, you know, that's not an accurate number, but a thousand based on what our discussion right. was about who was handling this with the student group and everything else, that there's a shortage of a thousand right. there. Nobody's going to say a thousand. That number is not going to come up out of anybody's mind because that number is a ridiculous number for somebody to, to throw off the cuff. They're like, yeah, it was probably up. I'd imagine it's probably 50, 100 kids, something like that. Right. You know, and so we get on here and we talk about those numbers again, thinking about, okay, Red Kettle program was down 12%. So we know those donations were down. Amount of need was up. This thousand kids that we needed to figure out how to cover up and get. We go two months from that window, and we now have a natural disaster that happens that nobody foresees that's going to suck the resources right out of the, the Salvation Army here locally. And then where do we meet that need? Right. Because in the same sense, and I think this is what what I you know was really – Gosh, I don't want to say excited, but I mean, I, uh, I told you earlier, if we had this, if we had this podcast two weeks ago, this doesn't get discussed, right. you know, uh, I mean, we might discuss the, the tail end of 2020, but we don't have a, a single line of sight as to what we just came out of last right. week. And so now it's the same deal. The, the Salvation Army, their goal is to step up and fill the gap. But now what you need I say you, the Salvation Army needs is for the community to step up and fill the gap because there's going to be a huge one here. Yeah, and, and it's not by any fault of anybody. You know, right. it's not through lack of fundraising. It's not through lack of effort. It's not through leadership. It's not through any of those things. It's through mere supply and demand right, right now. And so the demand will be way higher than the supply. And so, uh, again, what does that look like? If somebody's listening to this and go, listen, man, I can get a box of food out of my pantry and bring it to you. Great. That's yeah. one more box that you did not have at the, you know, at the start of all of this stuff. But maybe it is that, you know, if we're asking people to fill the gap, man, what better time to do it right now than tax seasons coming around. People maybe are getting a little bit more money in their pocket and instead of you going out there and getting the the eighty inch TV, maybe you can dial it back to a seventy two inch TV and give the rest to the Salvation Army. I mean, that, that's the kind of stuff that 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 we have to step up into the gap as a community to fill. And you're in the community because let me tell you, I mean, I've sat in this chair time and time again. When we talk about small businesses that are trying to recover. There is not a better community to be in than Bryan College yeah. Station to to have that need met by the right. community. But again, it has to be vocalized it has to be visualized it has to be something that people understand that right now people that are coming out of it you know salvation army is probably nowhere on their radar but 
you know, it, like I said, it came on my radar when I have that one friend that puts the post of, yeah. you know, there's a line around the building of people that are trying to get in there and get stuff. So if you've got jackets, if you've got blankets, if you've got heaters, bring them. Yeah. You know, they can use them. Not on my radar, but that one little social media post coming across, like, man, think about that. You know, yeah, I, yeah, I know there's organizations out there that are helping. I know there's places out there that are trying to get people in line for it. But who would have envisioned that we would have gone through what we went through? Yeah, and yeah. how do you prepare for that? Right, there's no way. Yeah, and normally we don't realize the the depth of the need. Yeah, you know, because because you know we don't think of there's a line around the building size need for jackets and heaters but there is you know and and you know it's not necessarily just homeless individuals it's people that you know the the house doesn't have good ventilation or things like that you know and so and then of course the need became quite greater with the actual outcome of the storm yeah absolutely i mean again you can't foresee it you can't plan for it now it's more reactionary purposes but reaction now for you really needs to be the community reaction. I yeah. mean, you guys are still going to have people show up. I mean, tomorrow's going to look just like it did, you know, the day before. I mean, there, you're, there's, there, there's not a day that comes. Y'all don't have somebody there, right? No, I mean, I we've mean, always got somebody cause, uh, normally beginning of the month or like this week, we now start booking appointments for the next month for right. people that need rent and utility assistance. Yep. And so, uh, those appointments go throughout the month and then, on Wednesdays is food distribution, so it's always a, a busy day. And then there's always people that just show up. You know, all of a sudden a need has arised yeah. and they've come in, and we do our best to to meet that at, as we can at yeah. that time. And and so earlier when I talked about volunteers, we also should should back that up a little bit also and say on site volunteers there is also encouraged as well yeah. people to be able to help out there also because you're working with seven staff. Yeah, especially know, and then you and your wife. Yeah, especially on Wednesdays, that's our big food distribution mm. day. If someone can just even come out from the hours of uh, uh, 8.30 to 10.30, that's the mass of the, of the individuals in need come in during that time. And, it, you know, if we have eight volunteers, they can basically run the soup kitchen with just a few of our staff helping with the check-in process. Mm-hmm. And that saves close to 200 to $500 worth of staff expense yeah. just in that time. And that's, you know, that's a kid to camp. That's a kid. That's a, a few. That's if it's $500, that's two utility bills. You know, those are the type of impact that volunteering has. It just allows us to put more resources back into serving the community. And and it's a great opportunity again, to bring your kid along. I don't want to advocate taking your kid out of school here, you know, but it's a great summer. Yeah. It's a great opportunity to bring your kid along so that they can see the need as well too, especially when you have somebody that's privileged. And I'm not using that word as, you know, uppity or anything like that but privileged to be able to have a food source privileged to be able to have shelter privileged to be able to have utilities paid for you know those things are all met and you take there are many a times you know we would do the the thanksgiving meal delivery and i'd take my daughter along for that so that she understood two things number one we're taking this to somebody that if we didn't they wouldn't be able to probably eat and then secondly when we took it to them we were typically invited into the house and my daughter got an opportunity to see the housing issues, you know, in a lot of cases where we walk into some place and then we walk out and, and she's talking about, you know, I, I want to get them this. I want to yeah. give this away. I mean, that's how we grow a generation of compassionate people who are constantly looking to volunteer and give back into their right. community that has supported them. Right. So 
move on to a couple other things here. Uh, I won't spend a ton of time on this, but again, this is more informational for people. We talked about the concert partnership yeah. and this kind of came onto my radar because my wife is going to Dallas. I think this following week to go to a to- Toby Mac concert. So awakening events is setting up these concerts that they can find more about online on the Salvation Army's website. Uh, that will show you mostly Christian artists that are partnering with Awakening Events to be able to give portions of those ticket sales and event fundraising there back into their local Salvation Armies and other projects and uh, fundraising needs that are in those communities to be able to give back. So I looked at it as, hey, you know, this is a win-win. You know, right. you get to go see one of your favorite artists there, and a portion of those ticket sales goes back into the community as well, too. So I don't want to negate that. Now, we may not see these artists come yeah. to Bryan College Station, but again, knowing that if you're driving to a Houston and Austin to San Antonio, kind of in that little triangle for us of major metro, um, that going to those concerts, buying a ticket to go to those concerts, again, has a, a longer impact than, well, I'm paying for the artist to put on the show. Yeah, that's always a part of it, and you're putting money in their pocket. But for these artists to step forward and be able to then turn back around and give that back as a part of that entire concert series and events, and there's a list of them that are all listed on there so that you know where they're coming to in your town or near your town, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be... I'd be remiss if I didn't sit there and, and bring this forward to people because I think there are people in our community that travel to those concerts anyway, but it, they probably don't have an idea that those artists are actually doing that until they're actually maybe even at the show in some cases where they're talking about it and they've got literature and signage and things like that at the show on it. But it's on the website for, for Salvation Army for people to be able to go to and be able to see that in its yeah. works and how it's being given back. And those those are great, you know, Great things of ways to support the Salvation Army. And, it, and you know, maybe locally it helps encourage a, a business owner or an individual to see that, you know, uh, sometimes you can do fundraisers through your business. Absolutely. You know, if you're, if you're an artist, you know, uh, maybe it's giving a portion back of those ticket sales towards the Salvation Army. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, you know, uh, uh, if you're a business owner, finding a way to give. Uh, I know a lot of restaurants do like profit share nights, mm-hmm. things like that. You know, those things are huge and, and great, drives. right. Great yeah. way to partner with the Salvation Army. And a lot of times those things do, int- do attract individuals, especially, you know, uh, millennials love supporting something that going, that's going towards a cause right. and having an impact greater than just, you know, if, if my, if the meal I'm having is not just feeding me, but it's helping someone in need, you know, that that's something that they really engage well yeah, with. They'll, and, ma- they'll make the extra right. effort to show up. Right. And so I think, you know, those are great things, uh, uh, you know, ra- ways to help raise awareness as well as uh, support a great local cause. Right. So let's finish this thing off with uh, with 2021 Outlook and then goals and events that are coming up that people yeah. need to know about. So 2021 Outlook right now yeah. definitely probably didn't start the way anybody planned. No. Um, but I'm sure that the, the goal we talk about on, on Outlook immediately kind of what do you see here in 2021 obviously we were kind of talking about that a little bit where we know there's going to be a, an immediate yeah. shortage coming here really quick if not already um throughout the year backside of the year summer i think summer is always one of those deals that people they, again it, they kind of tend to put it off but you have kids that are at home they're no yeah. longer in a school program where they're able to partake in you know free lunch programs and stuff like that right 
So again, the stress comes back into the feeding folks and, you know, extra food. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to imagine that the spike happens over the summer where they have, you have those kids at home that normally, you know, those parents could send them in at least two meals out of the day are getting met. Uh, in the school function and unfortunately in our, our you know again even here in the Bryan College Station area during those time frames where kids are in school for a lot of kids those are the only two meals they'll get out of the day yeah and the weekend becomes the challenge that's during school season the weekend becomes a challenge for those kids to get fed during the summer you know if they're not in a program not in a summer camp not in something like that which again a lot of people can't afford that's the first thing they look at, or they don't know about programs that may be around to be able to keep those kids active and involved in the community. Then they're at home. And again, the demand goes up, the supply goes down typically. And so now you're met with that deal. So over the summer, do you see that spike? Yeah, we definitely see more families coming through our food line, you know, needing that additional supplement and even our food uh, baskets need to be bigger. You know, we Mm -hmm. have to increase the amount that we give to each family, just knowing that needs there. So, that's just, a, again, an increased demand as well. Um, you know, you touched on it well. You know, kids kind of, we all know, like, if if a kid doesn't have activities, you know, there's more likelihood they're getting in trouble and things like that. And yeah. so a lot of times we're able to offer summer camp, uh, sending kids uh, to a week of camp, which is both a great thing for helping to keep them occupied, but opening their eyes to new experiences. Mm-hmm. And as we talk about getting kids out of generational poverty, sometimes it's showing them something new, showing them something outside of the the circle that they've only lived in. Right. Um, and so that's, that's key and, and, and a great thing. Um, so those are, yeah, several things that are part of summer, what those will look like in 2021, as far as summer camp and stuff, you know, that's still a little bit of an unknown. Uh, but even when there's not summer camp, there's, we try to provide curriculum or activities to families so that, if they are home, or that they're, they've got something more to do. Uh, and, and parents really appreciate that because a lot of times, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to find an activity that's, one, will entertain your kid or, or you know, help grab their attention. Is, it can be a difficult thing. And so our team works hard to put those together to make sure we have those available. But then, uh, you know, 2021 is also we realize that we, we need not only to continue to meet the need, but to provide people with a pathway out of this kind of current situation and to self-sufficiency. And for right. some people, you know, that's a new path they find themselves on because of COVID. And so uh, we're launching a new initiative called Pathway of Hope, which works specifically on the things we talked about today, where it, it identifies those families that have come to us in crisis or instability. It identifies those barriers that they have, helps to connect them with other agencies helps to uh, help them to set goals to, to break through those barriers and to eventually reach self-sufficiency. And this isn't something where we just work with a family for a month or two. Uh, you know, it's working with families for a year, two years, you know, to help them truly get out and on that journey. And so um, it's really targeting that and making sure that while we're going to continue to have our emergency assistance meet people right there in, in the need, I kind of call those our life support yeah, you know it's it it keeps you alive, but then we want the life changing initiative, which is Pathway of Hope, and it's going to take people from crisis and instability to uh, increase stability and into self sufficiency. And so that comes forward with some increased case management that'll be taking place, as well as us connecting with even more community partners just to assure uh, we're getting families wraparound services, kids if they need help. 
in school, mental health, uh, you know, physical health, whatever it may be, we want to bring around the services they need. Parents, if it's something beyond financial assistance, if it's, you know, we need to support this family a little bit longer so that mom and dad can go get a certification or or things like that so that we can get them earning above that poverty level mm-hmm. and able to support the family. You know, those things are, are what we want to do. And it, uh, in order to do it, you know, we're assessing one, those barriers we talked about, what barriers are keeping them from that. So we know what we're targeting to, to get them to self-sufficiency, but then also their willingness to change. Um, because like we said, I mean, sometimes this generational poverty has become so ingrained that it's, it's going to be a difficult fight as we work with families to get them out of that but there's a lot of families that are ready for the change. Yeah. They're desiring the change and they just, they need the help. And, and a lot of times the reason we call it pathway of hope is they've just lost that hope for the future. Yeah. They seem like they just feel stuck where they are. And so we really see this as the thing that will, as they're breaking those barriers, as they're getting through those things, it'll, it'll reinject hope into their situation and uh, a hope for the future and, and really help them have that, that desire to, get out of their current situation. And so that's really going to be key. Uh, we see in the response to COVID um, because there's so many more families that have found themselves in those situations. And so getting them on that pathway and getting them moving towards self-sufficiency is going to be key. Do you see upcoming events going virtual and staying virtual? We're hoping that our, our, our luncheon that's set for May 20th, um, we're hoping that that can be in person right now. Um, uh, we do that at the Hilton in College Station, and they've begun to do in-person events. Mm. And so uh, right now the plan is for that to be in person on May 20th. And, uh, you know, looking forward to a great event that raises key funds uh, to really help us get through those summer months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're prepared if, you know, I think now we always have a virtual contingency, but, you know, our hope is that even if May can't happen, we see much, you know, this year's delaying seems more like a possibility if May can't happen. But right now uh, we're moving forward planning on May and think it's going to be a great event. And I mean, people can, uh, if you're a business owner, you can, uh, you know, sponsor by, by buying a table or an individual can buy a ticket or make a donation to that event and like I said, a lot of those those contributions go uh, directly to those services we provide in the summer, whether that's kids to camp or, or food baskets or, and of course, of course, summer's coming with the the heat. Uh, you know, that, I think we were all thinking of that this past week. But um, and that leads to increased utility bills. Yeah. You know, and and so it's a uh, it's a time again where that need goes up, and so um, you know those funds raised there right before would. For a lot of nonprofits are kind of those those dry months financially, you know, that really helps us propel through those months and meet the needs during those months. So let's talk about goals here, especially on the backside of 2021 as we get to that November and December month. Yeah. Volunteer hours, you know, what do you need sustainably uh, to set up what you'd like to do? here in town i mean what kind of volunteer hours are you looking at from people and and you know i'm sure that as you set this up you know okay we got x number of of pots that need to be manned from right from this hour to this hour what does that number look like if you're going to go full run have them out everywhere that you can possibly put them every kettle with a bell on it and a person standing there with it 
what do you see as needed or projected volunteer hours? Yeah. So if we were to cover every location, we have 20 locations that we can ring at in uh, Brazos County. Um, we ring about 30 days a year. Um, and then if we were to cover every hour, you're looking at about 6,000 hours mm-hmm. of volunteer work because we ring about a, a 10-hour day. Mm-hmm. Um, our pass that we've ever hit is, highest we've hit is 1,400. We're hoping that uh, in the years to come, we can move that up well, to 2,000. Let, st- let me stop you there. 6,000 hours needed. Yep. And your past high was what? 1,400 hours. So again, I didn't want that to get glazed over in the conversation there. So So, a deficit of about 4,600 hours. Right. Okay. Or or a potential of 4,600. Yeah, because we're coming into it. Deficit last year. We're going to fill that this year. To be filled. And so, um, you know, the hope is that, you know, we can make a big difference in just filling more of those hours. Right. And that can be done even if someone just has one hour, just going out one hour and ringing. Or if, you know, you're part of a small group or a business group, if you can get eight to ten people to commit to each take an hour, I mean, that's that's huge for us because that means that's a whole spot that we don't have to worry about for that day. Sure. Someone goes out in the morning, takes the bucket out, they ring all day, the evening we pick it up. You know, that's, that's a huge blessing. And the thing is, when we have a volunteer compared to a a person that we have to pay to go out there, mm-hmm. we see about a 40 to 50% increase on donation. And it's what you touched on, just that interaction, that that spirit that kind of encourages people to give. And, yeah. and so that's huge for us and, and uh, you know, can really increase our ability to serve and, and help others in the community just by covering all those locations. Um, it, you know, it, like I said, we, on average, we average about, uh, fifty dollars an hour for a volunteer group. Uh, so getting to that that two thousand hours of volunteer would be uh, really really significant for sure. us and what we could provide in the community. And and I think the it, it becomes exponential if we were able to hit two thousand this year. Then you know a lot of times it's easy because once you go out and get that you've done that hour, either you want to do another hour or you encourage somebody else to do it. Yeah. And so it helps to grow itself just going out and getting engaged. And so that's what we're really looking for. And, and we're going to push that a lot more with the Christmas in July com- campaign, mm-hmm. trying to get people just to even make a commitment, you know, maybe not locking in the day or time at that point, but saying, hey, when Christmas gets here, I'll, you can count on me for five hours, yeah. you know, and then we'll figure out as we get closer where those five hours will be. Yeah. But just someone making that commitment and hopefully that'll get us there to those those numbers and those key, well, key support we need. And five hours for someone, you know, they're looking at that going, oh, that's a day. That's not really kind of what you want to see out of it. You'd prefer to see that maybe stretched out in three shifts or something like yeah. that where we can, you know, you can, you can fill in gaps here. Hey, can you do an hour this day? Can you do two hours this day? I mean, that way there's a bounce around there. And five hours out of your two-month window, I mean, what is that to you yeah. to be able to go out there and do that? And and. You know, there's always things that go on. The, the 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 big thing that I know that that tends to bring out a lot of people and they make it competitive is the ring off between the mayors yep. and Brian and College Station and things like that. But you know, the challenge should go a little bit further than that. You know, if I'm the business and I've got them in front of me, uh, they're out in the door. You know, listen, I. Uh, no, I'm not going to say it. I was going to, I was going to talk on a little bit about the Walmart side of it, but unfortunately it just becomes kind of a to do as opposed to 
a real involvement with yeah. it. And I was there through the, the, the weird wonky time frames of, well, we used to always be able to set up right here. And now we've, and I'm not talking COVID. This is before COVID. Yeah. Now you got to set up X number of feet from the door. And I'm sure that's even looks a lot different now, but the, just the movement, like you had said earlier, and I didn't want this to get lost. Just the movement of several feet from the door is huge. Yep. Uh, because it is the convenience of somebody walking through the door and you're right there. I don't have to go 15 feet over this way to meet you over here and go back off into it. You, I mean, at the doorway, making it as convenient as possible is the easiest way to get it right. dropped into the bucket. And so, yeah, you'd love to think that those doors, you know, I got to, entrance doors and exit doors and I end up right here in the middle. That's typically not how that plays <laughs> out, you know? So, but we really want to encourage people in, in the immediate need right now that if you can share out the information to your friends and family that the Salvation Army is needing. And again, online donations, they can go anytime, any day, yep. click on a donation. It'll allow you to do any custom donation right. there's other options on there to be able to select a dollar amount that are preset on there but none of those are expected i mean yeah. it's just whatever you can give and knowing and again a part of this podcast is getting that information out to know that the gap is going to be immediate here quick and that that can go to shore that up to get you guys into that may 20th you know right. fundraiser without having a draw pulling away from that money here where we're having this fundraiser, but it's already working in a deficit because we're still trying to recover right. from what happened during the winter storm. And so, and it could be that long. I mean, there could be that kind of pull on there for a long period of time. I mean, I know we're talking months away from where we are right now, but yeah. that's not going to stop people's, that's not going to stop people's situations. Yep. And so, you know, these guys can either lend time to it, come down to to Cabot and and help out there at the Salvation Army location or if they can just go online and donate money. I mean, if you don't have the time to do it, but you've got an extra 20 bucks or whatever, I mean, roll online, give the donation out, tax deductible. I mean, all of these things that you can kind of work to help an organization out and still be a part of that, even if you can't physically be there as a part of that fundraising to be able to start that process right now here in the beginning of 2021, not waiting for the 50% mark at November and December to make up everything because that number may look a lot different here in 2021. It may look a lot different going into November and December. It'd be a lot easier to go in and go, I don't need the 50% in November and December because we raised a bunch of money here at the front side of the year after this disaster. But to the point of what you said earlier is, is the Bryan college station area is really good about when we reach a crisis a particular situation that people come out of the woodworks to give right. and to donate and to volunteer their time and that deal. And that's the, again, that's the great thing about living here. It's a great thing about being a part of the community is businesses and people in this community rise up to the occasion. They just have to know what the occasion that's is right. and you got to make that vocal for them so that they know that this is an immediate need to be met. Yep. Um, you see it day in and day out, man. Yeah. I mean, a GoFundMe account pops up for somebody and bam, $50,000 for that person, you know, but when we're talking about an entity that, that reaches thousands of people throughout the year in your own community, and it has the ability to be able to, to meet the need, fill the gap, do it all in Jesus's name and be able to make a commitment back to making their community better then where else does that money sit and where else would it be needed more? 
Yeah. You know, I mean, we do it in our churches. We tie that the churches, we do it as a part because we know that the churches are actively involved in the community as well too. The church of the Salvation Army is a part of where you can also rest that, you know, rest yeah. that money and ensure that that money is being spent properly to be able to take care of the needs in your own backyard. And that's where we've got to focus on right now. You know, we can't yeah. focus in other places in Texas. And, you know, I mean, we were good about when Harvey came to send, you know, money and funds and everything down to, to the Houston area and Galveston area and all that, that stuff. But man, this is our own backyard. That's right. And if you came out of it and, and things were great, you didn't lose power. You didn't, you know, pop any lines. You didn't do any of that kind of stuff. Great. You know, you were in probably the category of the few, <laughs> you know, uh, but the majority of people had some kind of experience yep. through this deal. The uncomfortableness of going without power for three hours, and man, my house gets really cold. Imagine how cold it gets when you're homeless. Yeah. Imagine how cold it gets when you don't have a jacket, when you don't have a blanket, when you don't have the resources. I, I mean, I've always been raised that if something bad happens, there's always a silver lining somewhere in there. Right, that even if my power goes out, at least I have walls and a roof to keep it all off of me. Even if it may be forty degrees in that house, it's still six degrees outside. Yeah, you know. And unfortunately, there are people in this community that that don't have that luxury. I mean, a luxury of having shelter, even without fire, without heat. Uh, I mean, that's a whole other level of miserable. We just see it as miserable because it's not our normal conditions of what we're accustomed to. And unfortunately, we have homelessness and people in our community that always have that need. It's always at their door. And so I'm appreciative of you being here and your wife coming here, that you guys are a part of the community. I'm, I'm grateful to have you here to lead the Salvation Army into, uh, into a growth aspect that I know that y'all, you, you know, I'm sure sitting over there you can go, I know what I want to see. I know how to get it there. I just have to, I just have to get all these things in alignment, but here since, you know, coming here in 2020, that alignment's probably looked a little wonky for you and just the ability to be able to get those things into alignment. You know, if we could quit having these little catastrophes happening in between things and start seeing things kind of shorn up, you know, where we can, have 70 degree weather and no yeah. clouds all the time outside <laughs> makes things a little bit easier for you guys too. But I know that it's a challenge to have both husband and wife team coming in here and taking over and being a, a, a representative, not just of the Salvation Army. I mean, you guys do this from the calling from Jesus, mm-hmm. right? And from the calling that God has placed on y'all's hearts to be a part of this. And that says a lot about, you know, that says a lot about you as a couple. It says a lot about you as leaders here in the community and so what we wanted to do is get you guys in here to be able to have that conversation, to show the need, and to be able to show kind of where the deficit is at here locally in people's own backyards. You know, because again, I mean, it's like I said, man, I don't see an angel tree. I didn't, I didn't know, you know, but if I hear that there's, a, there's a, a demand that's not meeting where we need to be able to supply, If we bridge that gap and get donations out of this, get volunteers out of this, get people moving into action to help the cause, man, we've, we've, we've set out what we've accomplished to do here in this deal, you know, but to really, to really bring it to the forefront, 
put your face on it. I'm not saying you're the Salvation Army, but locally as a leader here of the Salvation Army, you want to lead it in the best possible way that God has called you to do that. And so uh, we're just grateful to have you in the community. We hope that you have a, a long appointment here. Uh, and that you guys are able to raise your family here for a long period of time. It's a great place to bring your kids in. And, and what you see here just in the few months that you guys have been here, we've been able to experience for years and years of being here as a part of this community. And we're grateful for the Bryan College Station area who support us as a business. We know this is the same community that will rise up to meet the needs of everybody here that's going to have you know immediate demands of stuff that they're going to have to fulfill uh, or that's going to be required from them by no fault of their own. Yep. You know, so uh, if we can be of any assistance to you, please let us know. We'd love to help you guys out. And I'm glad that uh, that we were able to have this conversation now. Because yep. uh, I think two weeks ago, again, this probably would have looked a lot different. <laughs> it wouldn't have been, you know, two hours and 38 minutes. You right. know, it would have probably been a lot shorter. And we'd have been talking about a lot more programs and things like that. But I really wanted to spend a lot of time with where you were at right now, coming on the backside of this, with it being fresh right now. And that also is the reason why we're going to push this out into the market quickly so that people can listen to this and hear what the deficits are and where you guys have those immediate needs at so that we can hopefully help to meet those as well, too. So, Well, appreciate that and appreciate you having us in and uh, getting to share our story a little bit and what all is taking place in Bryan College Station with the Salvation Army. Welcome to Bryan College Station, man. Well, now, we're, now we're going to show you how the, the community pulls together and gets it all done. So awesome. we're again, we're grateful. Tell your wife, thank you again for what she does. I know she didn't join us today, but uh, just tell her we're grateful that she's here as well, too. And we, we love having you guys as a couple here and spreading the word and the gospel uh, throughout the community while rising up to meet the needs of people who need it. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Timothy. Thank we appreciate your time. You guys have a great day. Thank you.